Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life Podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you can join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, and share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group, where we discuss topics from the shows. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com on the contact page. And while you're there, check out the new artwork I've been creating. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support my art and the Art and Life podcast on my Patreon page. Just search Taylor Gallegos Art. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome, my friends. Here we are again. Are you excited? I'm excited. This is going to be a really good interview here. This is a long one, okay? I hope you have something to do for a couple of hours because this is going to get you charged up for that. Me personally, I'm probably going to listen to this while I paint uh, a canvas and really just like put my whole heart and soul into this painting. And uh, I hope that you do something, whatever it is that you do in your life, that's a creative pursuit of yours. Or, you know, maybe it's just inspiration time for that creative pursuit. But either way, uh, this is a good one. This is a really good one. There is business, there's art, there's life, there's philosophy, there's design, there's history. Oh, man. There's everything in this one. So let's uh, dive into it. What do you say? Here we go. Carlos Montoya. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and with me today is a very special guest. This gentleman is very close to me in numerous ways. He's a new friend, and he lives a block away from me. And uh, this guy's fucking epic. I'm telling you, I'm very excited for this episode for you guys to hear 
the wisdom and the jewels that are going to get dropped on this one. So without further ado, Mr. Carlos Montoya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Taylor. And I've, I've been looking forward to this. Um, I'm a fan. I like your artwork. I see it all around Carlsbad. And you too are a great guy. So I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Definitely. Definitely. This is great. I mean, this is cool because a lot of times uh, we record the podcast in the daytime, uh, but this is an evening recording and we both have a little glass of whiskey here. We got like kind of a whole different vibe going on. This is this is a nice scene going. Yeah, daddy's daddy's water burns. (laughs) (laughs) Stay away from uh, the medicine cabinet. (laughs) No, I appreciate it uh, for moving it to the evening time, and uh, it allowed us to, you know, let loose a little bit. I'm excited to dive in, and um, as they say in the radio biz, first time, long time. A long time, first time, long time listener, first time caller. Ooh, yeah, yeah, totally. Did <laughs> you say that? I hear that. Definitely. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and dive in and tell us who you are, where you're from, how you got to where you're at, and what it is you do with your life. I'm still trying to figure that out, to be totally honest. Uh, but um, yeah, my name is Carlos Anthony Montoya. Uh, uh, people call me a designer, an entrepreneur, and a coffee roaster. But uh, I'm more than that. I have experienced, like anyone in life, quite a variety of situations. And it's currently found myself here. I live in Carlsbad. And I've had the opportunity to, um, to work at really unique companies. And it's provided me with the platform to create. And I've been able to meet Taylor and a really good community here in Carlsbad that has really been welcomed in our lives i'm married i have a beautiful wife named sarah great dog named baxter and uh yeah i lived in los angeles for almost a decade now i'm back in san diego where i went to high school and it feels good feels like home and i'm happy to be back um a little bit about myself i uh, played sports growing up was able to be um uh, quarterback on our, my high school football team. I was able to go to a university back east. Um, it allowed me to work at a radio station called 91X in San Diego. Um, I then went from 91X to working for a sports radio station um, that was an ESPN affiliate. Um, I got to meet some people that are still one of my closest friends in all of life. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of the radio community and I somehow managed to get myself a position to work for a startup named Tesla. Tesla was a growing brand, um, spearheading electric cars and innovation that allowed me to see pretty much on the front lines what a guy by the name of Elon Musk was doing and how he was creating not just a brand that was, you know, swimming upstream in the automotive industry, but expand into solar, expand into space innovation, and inspired me to become an entrepreneur myself and was able to meet some really 
amazing people while working at Tesla. And I've since started uh, a couple companies and those companies have gone on to, some people call it success. Other people call it, you know, notoriety. It just it gave me a platform that allowed me to go back and really focus on who and what I want to be in life. And that is to work with my hands, be creative and spread joy in the world. And so I find myself today uh, doing numerous things, uh, one of which is a coffee roasting business and a entrepreneur getting myself into trouble as well as into good situations. Um, so I really come to you at a really happy place in my life and uh, I'm just blessed to be here. I think I've learned in my short 33 years of life that everyone's faking it. Everyone's trying their damnedest and no one has any of the answers. And certainty is human's Achilles heel. There is no certainty in anything and you just got to fucking do it. So that's what I try to bring every day. And I just try to do it and be about it. So yeah, I guess it's tough to sum you up in a paragraph, but that's, that was my best shot. <laughs> that was great. Nice work. That was, that was a great shot. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that where we should start to really dive into all that and unpack it is the coffee company, because you, myadventurecoffee.com. That's right. You're the sponsor of this podcast. I'm talking to people about it every single time and uh i mean you and i like it's so cool just for the listeners like you know carlos and me and Haley and sarah will go uh, to the park on like saturday mornings and carlos will bring like three different types of coffee that he's been roasting he's like i've been working on this one it's got these notes it's from you know guatemala this one's coming from this spot and it's got these ideas and like what do you guys think what's your favorite you know like you're um you're totally diving into the coffee game these days and and it's really fun because you're always bouncing ideas off of me with like okay so you know with the company this is what I'm thinking I'm like pivoting this way and um you know I've gotten to really see your thought process through the development of this company and um yeah it's been really cool and just I mean I feel like I'm learning a ton just hearing the way that you think which is really cool. Thanks. Why don't you tell everybody about that, that whole jam? Yeah, so I guess you would say I'm like school trained in design and in media, uh, but I've always been someone that loves to intrinsically figure out how it works. And when I got into the radio business, I had just suffered a pretty severe car accident and that led me to be stuck in bed for a few weeks and the little radio box was speaking to me through the radio and this friendship connected me to those voices in the radio box and that radio box was like this wizard of oz world where i had to figure out how it worked what was it like on the inside and coffee 10 15 years later it was much the same way where much of my life Waking up super early, I enjoyed a cup of coffee. I'd go to Starbucks. I'd experience coffee as almost like a commodity where every morning it was a part of my routine. 
Um, and it really was a moment where I actually like stopped and there was a, a particular cup of coffee that just stopped me in my tracks where I was like, I haven't, what, 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 this is coffee. Like it was so complex and there were so many nuances to where the same kind of question came up where I was like, how and what, where, where did this one come from? And as a designer, you're Is always- at a Starbucks? <laughs> yeah, it might've been McDonald's. I'm not sure. Wow. <laughs> no, I think it was like a local coffee shop in Los Angeles. Okay, um, yeah. That sounds like a local coffee shop type experience. Yeah, so there was a particular coffee shop that we that lived or that we lived down the street from. And they, you know, we had like your run-of-the-mill coffee shops, ones that were trendy, ones that were like well-known. And then this like mom and pop shop, but there's a particular roaster in there that like I could feel his energy. He's like, you have to try this. And there was some sort of connection. And that connection led me to like want to figure out where this, where this lied. And as I, you know, moved down to San Diego right before the pandemic, um, I had that same experience with a local coffee shop here in Carlsbad and steady state which is a great coffee shop here in Carlsbad, I had this coffee that was like, wait a second, this isn't your Starbucks or your, you know, your McDonald's. And it blew my socks off. And I was like, who the hell are these guys? And what is their story? Big and shout out real quick. Big shout out to Steady State. If you're in North County, San Diego, and you want, and you like coffee, you got to stop by and try something there. Totally agree. The best. It's our neighborhood cafe. It's the neighborhood spot, but really, I think, you know, and anyone could appreciate this. It's like they've bought in. And by what I mean by that is it's like when you can feel that they've put all their effort and time and, and, and maybe money, I don't know, but they, they're, they're like, we are going to provide the best experience. And that was fresh. That was kind of reminiscence of like parts of LA that was like trying to push the boundary. And here's a beach town in Carlsbad. And these guys like were speaking this language and they too were in the coffee business. And as I learned a little bit more about them, um, they allowed me to kind of learn alongside them. And they um, have since opened their facilities to allow someone like myself to roast. And, you know, over the last um, almost 14 months now, I've been learning how to um, source green coffee from, you know, reputable, sustainable, consciously curated, you know, coffee farms to actually roasting the coffee. And as a, you know, someone who likes to tinker and work on, you know, car motors to, you know, silly things around the house, I was fascinated by this intrinsic sort of ability to take something that is, you know, uh, not edible green coffee that is essentially fermented, you know, stone fruit to roasting to a certain point that yields that same feeling that I had when my socks blew off. And I was like, wait, this is coffee. Like this is, this is that same feeling. So that connection and that ability to kind of scratch that itch is what led me to learning how to roast coffee, how to source it, how to, how to, get it to that point and then give it to the masses. And at that point, um, 
I didn't realize, but I was creating a business and it was beyond a passion. It was, it was something that people were enjoying. And it was much along the same parallels of our friendship where we were meeting and our dogs became friends and we were hanging out at the dog park to where, you know, like I said at the beginning, everyone's kind of trying to figure it out and try to recognize what they're good at and what they do. And I love working with my hands. And this was one of those things where I felt like if I could just give this my everything and learn it from the inside out, pull back the curtain and figure out you know, where I can find my lane, then I felt like maybe I can, I can make something of this. And yeah, I created an adventure coffee company that spearheads that very same thing, which I want that experience of like, whoa, what is this? There's so many complex flavors, whether you're out on the trail, you're on a road trip, you know, it's a Saturday morning in the park, whatever it may be, I want to bring that to the everyday. And I've since met some tremendous coffee roasters. We've shared knowledge. We've learned amongst each other. And there's kind of like this tide rising all the boats that I feel like if anything, it's, you know, you included Sarah, my wife, like I, I get to just provide, you know, my network with really interesting new flavors to try and, and test out. Um, but, you know, I, I really want to expand this. I mean, my ultimate goal is to have this brand one day be, you know, in, in like, you know, on the shelves of REI, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting for the moon. And if I can end up somewhere in between, I'll be okay with that. So we've created a brand, myadventurecoffee.com. We've since, sponsored the taylor g podcast we've become friends um beyond just you know sponsorship and it's like it's really it's now becoming a thing and it's now becoming like a full-on snowball down the hill so thanks for allowing us to be a part of it and we hope to support any adventure people that like going out surfing at 6 a.m like you do or hitting the trails um, and we hope to be that coffee that kind of spurs that uh, inspiration yeah. And it, I mean, it's so cool. And from my perspective, I've gotten like, you'll come to me every once in a while, every couple of months and be like, Hey, try this. Here's a new bag of this, or like here, this is a tin with all these like little coffee packets in them. And that's, right. you know, that's, that's my favorite. Cause it's so easy um, and quick. And I just like, boom and go. <laughs> There's my little commercial for everybody right there too. But it's like, like like I was saying like you're I see your thought process and you've been really like going at this methodically of like not just what is the thing that you want to make and provide to people but like what is your market what's your niche this is like how you're thinking and this is how I think a lot of people should think especially creatives is like who is your market and and what do they want and and not just what they want but like what market do you want to go after and that market what are they interested in how can you like create like i said the other day when we were walking to the dog park it was like you're you're creating uh like this overall like system and like a niche like a, a a concept it's not just coffee that you're doing but it's this whole like lifestyle around it you're like thinking in terms of the whole thing it's like mm -hmm. comprehensive not just like 
hey, this is a coffee. Here's coffee. This is, you know, people drink it in the morning. Yeah. I mean, I, you always hear the words like back architect or like, I, I forget what, it, what the term is, but that's like, that's how you think. You're like, what's the big picture? And then how can we break it down into like little steps? I think if you can provide and understand that you become a conduit to a feeling. And if that feeling inspires action, and then you could provide other subsequent avenues to get to that same feeling, then you're 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 accomplishing more than just being a product. And you know, hearkening back to a guy like Elon Musk, who is clearly you know, once in a generation, Steve Jobs-esque type of individual who's seeing the world in a different sort of manner. But if you just break down his historical accomplishments by creating an electric car company, creating a solar company, and then marrying those two and providing subsequent products that support that lifestyle, let's say that individuals at a life stage to afford a Tesla, to afford solar panels on their home that they own, what else are they going to want along their journey is what he has, Elon has mastered. And just taking that business model and applying it to your lane, and let's bring it back to coffee. Like I ultimately want to provide the best coffee roasted at the best with the most science and data to back it to give someone the best experience. But if that someone is also going to be on the trail or be on a road trip for five days, what other things are going to provide them with that same feeling of like, what is this sensory feeling of coffee in the morning that is so complex? Now I'm likely going to want maybe food or other health conscious things, or maybe I'm environmentally sound and I would rather support a product that is 100% recyclable. And then, then it becomes a little easier to recognize if I put myself in their shoes, what other things are gonna be a part of my ecosystem that if I'm gonna be putting down you know, my cold hard cash that I've worked my butt off to get, like that's not a, it's not a given. And if you can just provide them with a little bit extra, then you get to differentiate yourself from the next coffee company. And all we're trying to do is find our lane. And if you can find your lane, then you have a higher likelihood of success. And if I'm just trying to go for a 51% hit rate, then what can I do to find my lane and avenue? And that makes it a little easier to then not say, or I guess let's just say it another way. It makes your decision to go down a certain path, you're more confident behind that because you're, you believe in the subsequent sort of ideology behind it. And if you believe it, then your actions follow that. And if you can be genuine and be honest, then people understand your come from and can buy into it a lot more so we're really trying to walk the walk and go out on the trail talk to people much like yourself who are adventure seekers surfers you know rock climbers mountain bikers skateboarders those are you know 
es mi gente, you know, that's my people. And so if I can connect with those individuals, then I don't have to like really think too hard. And if I can back architect from who that person is and then provide them with certain thing and it's all genuine and real and health conscious and environmental conscious, then, then you hope to really like rise above everyone else who's doing much the same thing, but maybe coming at it with a, a different approach. And so like my, my whole thing is, is if you can find your niche, you can really excel. And if you're kind of hovering between one or two, it's not until you lock into one, can you really see that trajectory go to the next level. And I, I, I think there's an opportunity space in, in adventure seeking people that not only recognize that coffee is great, but the environment's important. And I like many other things. So I think finding your niche for anyone in any industry is really important because then you can speak to a certain audience and then they can really have an open communication. And if you do that, you're, you're off to the races. Totally. And what it's, what it, what I'm picking up from that is that there's actually like two elements of what you're identifying one is you're identifying your audience but you're also like identifying yourself and you're defining yourself who am i what do i stand for what do i believe in like what is this company ethic and moral value like what's my mission statement and when you have that solidified and then you find your target audience that connects with that that wants that then i guess I, the visualization i'm having is just like a certain frequency level like you figure out what frequency you want to vibe at and then others that are at that frequency are going to connect. And once, and like you're starting with coffee, but then you're offering other things that are at that same frequency level. Like you can do coffee at all sorts of different frequency levels with different focuses. You can mm -hmm. do it at the McDonald's level, the Starbucks level, the, you know, craft cafe, or like, you know, like what you're talking about is like a hyper-specialized, unique frequency and so then that frequency is something that those people that are resonating on that you know the the campers the hikers the surfers the skateboarders when they find that and they're like yes this checks out because it tastes great it's amazing it's you know using the ideals and morals that i believe in you know it's taking care of the locals it's fair trade it's all this stuff blah 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 you do that and then you say, hey, like not only do we have coffee, but here's another thing at that frequency level. And then here's another thing at that frequency level. Then they're, they're like, you forget any other brand, like you are the brand. Hey, can you do this? Because we want this frequency level and mm -hmm. we're gonna pick up any, like we're gonna buy all this shit anyway. Like we might as well, we wanna get it from you because we know it's checking all the boxes. Exactly, exactly. And if you, it, it, it kind of feeds on itself. Like if you can provide that same energy and consistent uh, attention to detail in one aspect, and then you find supporting aspects that, that kind of go back to that main mission statement. And every one of those lanes has that same attention to detail and that same consideration. Then it's not crazy to add another one or it's not crazy to add yet another one and what we're really trying to expand the coffee industry and not only providing like we said good coffee 
maybe provisions that have kind of an element about them that are health conscious. But really, once that coffee is used and you've brewed an amazing cup, what do you do with those spent coffee grounds? How do you then turn that into another product that can be utilized in uh, in a similar fashion that goes back to that same person and what they would appreciate? So it's holistically top to bottom. It's like, not only is the new thing, you know, farm to table, but how do you go table back to farm? And if we can utilize that ideology with coffee, not only are we sourcing the best, not only are we roasting on the machines that are utilizing the most environmentally sound methods, not only are we then packaging it in 100% recyclable packaging, and not only that, but then at the end, once we've had a coffee shop use our coffee grounds and then they put them in a upcycled organic waste bin what do we take those and it's like really finishing and closing the loop and if you can close the loop i mean again back to elon then then you have like not just a product but you have a you have a you have a corporation you have a multi-prong approach to a very simple idea which is you know, let's drink coffee. And that idea is what really fuels me every, every morning. I'm like, okay, yes, I'm roasting coffee, but how do we change the game that speaks to the audience that wants really good coffee? And how do we add more to that same ecosystem? So we're on our way, but we hope to really provide, you know, subsequent products from spent coffee grounds that again, differentiate ourselves, puts us in a niche, if you will, but really, you know, provides a really lasting impact on this world led by us adventurers that are outside. You know, you can find us out in the outdoors at any point. We're bound together by our love for really fucking good coffee. And at that point, then you're like, here are the other things that they do great at. And at that point, you're like, you're, you're off to the races. You're just being you. And I really spent you know, better part of, you know, my last 10, 15, 20 years trying to figure out what that is. And as a designer, you're constantly doing that for other corporations. But once you do that on yourself, then you really get to speak that language. And coffee has been that kind of right in the middle of the Venn diagram. It's not only something that is great, provides joy to people, but like there's opportunity space genuinely to, to change the game. And this is the tip of the iceberg, but we're, we're on our way. <laughs> Hell yeah, you are. <laughs> oh man, that's, it's definitely on its way for sure. Um, all right. I kind of want to switch gears here because you've got this whole other awesome side to your story, which is the radio DJing element. So you were at 91X, which my listeners will know 91X from Makeda Makosa, Makeda Dread, who was on uh, one of the previous episodes in season two. And you knew her, you know her. Right. And so you're at the same spot at the same time. Like, why don't you uh, just dive into that experience a little bit? Um, 91X was one of those experiences in life that, you know, really 
provided me the launching point to do the rest of the things that I've been able to do. Uh, 91X started with a simple email to a guy named Chris Cantori, who mm. was the host of the morning show. I think he's still the host, isn't he? I've definitely uh, heard his name. He's, he, Chris Cantori is a radio guy in through and through. He's right. as genuine San Diegan as can be. He is a, a wonderful teddy bear human. I owe so much to him, uh, to be totally honest. But when I was recovering from a car accident, I, I sent him an email. And he didn't know the mangled mess I was in. And I asked him if I can sit in on a, on a session on like a radio segment or just like, let me just be there for five minutes. And he invited me in one day and I was like, I had an entire cast on one leg. I had a cast on the other foot. I was in crutches. And just to be like totally cool, I told my parents to drop me off at the parking lot and I was going to hobble myself to the end because no one could see my parents dropping me off again. I decide, you know, I check in, Chris Cantori comes out and it's this Wizard of Oz character. I've only heard his voice. I've never seen his face. He invites me in and I'm this, you know, kind of hobbled guy. That moment of opportunity, that genuine connection that I felt with him and seeing a live radio show happen from the studio outward you know, speaking to a couple hundred thousand people changed my life. That was, it humanized something that was so ubiquitous. Like in San Diego, 91X is, is kind of like a, a staple, if you will. It, it's been here from the eighties. It's kind of, everyone knows it, but I was, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. And when I went and I sat in, he had a producer named Ruggie had a co-host named Jennifer White. I, I, was, I was this kid who was a football player all through high school and now my legs are mangled and I'm never gonna play football again. Like I'm desperately searching for something else to dedicate instead of sports. It was too touchy of a subject. I couldn't even like watch ESPN. Like it crushed me. Like watching a football game for a whole year, I couldn't do it. It was just, it was too personal. I was able to sit in and I connected with Ruggie, the producer, and Ruggie, after that day, invited me in for a second day. And I came in, parents dropped me off, I crutched over, I sat in on another one. And I was this fly on the wall. I don't know what, I still really don't know what they were thinking, but they, they allowed me to sit in and that led me to becoming an intern for the radio station and that internship turned out to be essentially an internship for Chris Cantori and Chris Cantori allowed me to be his intern and Ruggie's intern and I was then the morning show intern for a number of years and like anytime they asked me to do anything my answer was always yes I don't know why but there was something in me that knew this was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And so I said yes to everything. Oftentimes I couldn't afford it. Oftentimes I didn't even have gas money to get my ass to this random corner of town to do whatever, but I always was down. And I think understanding the opportunity, recognizing that it didn't matter what I had to sacrifice I was in, allowed me to showcase my dedication again not in sports but in the radio 
and it gave me an opportunity and that gave me a position, a paid position. And then before you knew it, I was a salaried position. And then as I learned really coldly, the media business is awful and new management comes in and fires the entire staff, you know, for whatever reason, budget cuts or different opinions. And Cantori was fired. He just bought a house. The guy was all in and the guy's canned and he's no longer my guy. And a new host is brought in. I wasn't sure what to make of it, but again, my answer was yes, I'm down, I'm always. And then I found myself, you know, honestly, fast forward, I, I was like then the producer for the next morning show. The new morning show had a new host, Matt Diablo, who was younger and hungrier. And I don't mean that as an insult to Cantori, but Matt Diablo brought this Silicon Valley mindset. The guy was a well-read individual. The guy didn't, he never wanted to be outsmarted, was constantly on the edge of innovation. And he taught me to think like that. And in 91X allowed me to really flow with the mindset of, you know, what's beyond radio? Like it, just that simple question that he always asked like, okay, this is great, but like, what's next? And as a young, you know, I think it was, in, I think I turned 21 on air on 91X. Like I literally had my first drink, legal first drink on air. And I'm pretty sure like high school football coaches, my parents, friends, like I, I didn't realize like 91X was as prolific as it was. And people were like, wait, what, what, what? You're on 91X, you're drinking right now for your 21st birthday. Like it got to that point to where I didn't even realize how omnipresent it was, but that idea of like, okay, this is great, but what's after? Like I never lost. I was like, Ooh, this, there's something deeper here. And he kind of instilled this idea, but 91X allowed me to like manage an entire live broadcast for four hours. Show starts at six, it ends at 10 AM, but I'm in at three 30 and I'm out at noon working my butt off, amassing, you know, Rolodex, developing sort of a style and recognizing that not only am I trying to put forth a really good show for the next day, but I have to manage commercials, on-air hosts, inner politics in the office, salespeople, higher-ups. And all of a sudden, like at 21 years old, I literally found myself like bossing people in their 40s and 50s. Like I, I kind of was uncomfortable with that sensation, but like they were heeding my advice and listening to me to where I was like, oh fuck, this is working. Then I was like, I felt like my training wheels were starting to come off and I was becoming more prolific as a producer and commanding an entire audio board that went out to hundreds of thousands of people that would make or break and literally call and be like, yo, what the fuck did you just say? And like would rip on me and dog, you know, dog pile on me. And like something I said, maybe in jest or I made a mistake and it became like a mistake heard around the world. Like I learned humility at the same time. Like as I'm learning how to become a corporate person with responsibilities, I'm also getting like, I'm getting shit on the street from some random guy going like, you, you know, 
what you said the other day was, you know, BS or, you know, whatever it may be, those mistakes I learned on, on live radio. And that gave me and kind of, for lack of a better term, like I earned my stripes. I earned some stripes and those stripes allowed me to then take, you know, working with a celebrity, developing rapport with this person of notable notoriety and then like hey for example i know you're all over tmz you got busted for a dui <clears throat> do you want to come onto the radio station tomorrow morning at 7 30 a.m and give your best you know provide us your um, perspective as to what happened or clear your name or maybe it's an athlete you know tell us why you dropped that touchdown at the uh, you know at the buzzer to win it like that human to human element as big as these individuals are i was having to develop to convince them that i was trustworthy you can come on to our radio show give us that organic take without fear of judgment or you know ridicule from this side like you may get it from the fans but like business to business and so like I don't know what compelled me to keep going with that, but like that gave me so much, I, I would say tools in my tool belt to pull from. And that really gave me kind of like motivation. And, you know, when you're up there trying to pitch for investments for a startup, it takes a lot of humility. You're going to get dogpiled. People are going to laugh in your face and you got to come up and wake up the next day and talk to the next VC or angel investor and they could do the exact same thing. So it was like, it, it doesn't feel like radio connects to Silicon Valley. Like I'm not saying that's a straight line, but if you think about it, like the same skill set to go up and present and fall flat on your face, but get up the next day and do it again, really is a little more straight line than maybe people think. So 91X, like I went from, I thought my life was, you know, football. I thought I was going to play for college and I ended up not doing any of that. And then just dedicating that same commitment to radio and that opportunity saying yes to everything and just going all in um, gave me an opportunity to then work for Tesla. And so it went from literally 91X to the ESPN radio affiliate in San Diego, working for Scott and BR, to then working for Elon Musk as a startup at, in, in Los Angeles, which was not their headquarters, but was their sales headquarters. And they were, it was, it was just like, it, it, they don't really make sense, but somehow it does. And that really springboarded me to where I am today. <laughs> oh man that's exciting stuff <laughs> oh man i um it's cool because like one thing leads to another which leads to another which leads to another no it's not a straight line but like life isn't a straight line um but there are through lines in everybody's story yeah. and it's cool how when you look back like hindsight is 2020 and when you look at your life from you know the future looking back on it, it's like, you couldn't take out any one thing, even the bad things that, you know, when it's happening, you're like, this is the worst thing. 
Um, and it's like everything just seems to line up really beautifully in in these like funky, strange ways. And like I, I was thinking how like you know you as a quarterback, I feel like that probably set you up with the skill set to direct people. You know, so like when you're directing forty and fifty year olds when you're twenty two. Like you're already used to like going into the huddle and being like, Hey, John, you're going to do this. Hey, Sam, do that. Run out that way. You're going to go run that way. You're just like used to this like directive element, which, you know, like leadership as I'm sure Elon Musk is like looking for these like skill sets of things like that. And so like this leads to that leads to that. It's that, it's that frequency again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always easy to look back and say, well, that makes sense. They connected, but while you're going through it, it, you're, you're like questioning yourself the whole time. Like, yes, I can look back and be like that time in first grade when I was public speaking and they applauded instead of booed, like gave me the confidence to be a public speaker, but like, yes and no, it's easy for me to say now. However, it, definitely lends itself like I didn't think I was developing my confidence as as a quarterback like to be totally honest I was like fifth on the depth chart my senior year and I was like do I even play this season like do I keep going and it was like the decision at that point like okay so what are you gonna do about it that was like no fuck it I'm gonna give it my all and I'm gonna go for it and made you know, for what it's worth, starter at, in high school. And like, yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, like everyone's got their little box. Yeah, you did. Like the scenario is here, you're presented with your scenario. What are you going to do with it? The question is like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. And it was like, no, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And I, I, I went all in. And that gave me at least an opportunity to then go to a great school, which allowed me to walk onto the football team. And yeah, that lended itself to the confidence, but like maybe, I don't think I actually knew that going through it. Like I was still trying. And then once I made it to Tesla, I was like, I'm still trying. Like, I'm still saying yes, opportunity. Yes, yes. Like I, you know, I got promoted through Tesla by, by taking those opportunities and just saying, yeah, like I'm, I'm all in like, and that's maybe more of the through line where it's like, okay, here's your scenario. What are you going to do about it? That allowed me to then go, okay. Mm -hmm. And then I look back and go, oh wait, these connected. Yeah. That makes a lot of fucking sense. But yeah, like, you're do it and your answer is all in. That's what I'm always in. I'm all in. So if I can, I, you know, back to coffee, if I can just be all in, learn it, study it, learn under the best, be about it, go to the source of these coffee farms, find the way to do it and be all in. Then maybe that frequency, you know, energy hacking where we're like, like-minded, like maybe that's more the through line. And I, I, I mean, they all, you can say everything that I've been able to two has led me to where I am now but it's really like at that point those are inflection points I can either my story can either be well you were born into poverty and you stayed into poverty or well because you were born into poverty you're now you know who you know you just cured cancer like it's really it can go one of two ways at every point 
and those points, it's so easy for me to say, well, that makes sense. Looking back on it, well, yeah, it's a it, it it's this through line, but like during the whole thing, you're you're really, man. I mean, I even I'm not a parent yet, but I feel like parenting's the same way where you're like, I can either be exactly like my mom and dad, or I can be totally different, take good the good things, or you know, take that scenario and do the opposite. Like whatever it is, like you can either take those moments and accept it and be like, that defines me. Mm-hmm, makes sense. Or wait, that moment I decided to go left instead of right. Or even if I went left after some time, I'm, I'm gonna eventually go back to right. Like that idea in creating a company is really hard for people. And I, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but like people need the permission to change their mind. You like uh, permission granted, like anyone can change your mind, like it's you. But if you're like, I'm, you know, Taylor, you're an amazing painter. But if all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to be a photographer. You're like, permission granted. You're a photographer now. Like you get to go be that and take your painting skill sets and be a photographer. And no one should judge you harshly or give you, you know, too much grief about that. But personally, you're like, oh my God, the anguish of, rebranding myself or going through something that might be uncomfortable to explain to someone like don't fucking worry about it and that's really the key of establishing and re-establishing yourself like as a radio guy every radio guy I worked with bless their heart kind of sort of is still a radio guy and it's not a bad thing but do you let it define you or do you let that be a chapter that grows to the next thing? And back to Matt Diablo, he put in my head, like, what's next? And that idea was like, man, that seed is still growing. And I'm still constantly like, what's next? Although I'm all in on developing my businesses, being a good coffee roaster, like I still have in the back of my head. And if you can find things that relate and blend into each other you know you can do many things but they're all kind of in your wheelhouse everything's in front of you like a good shortstop like any ball hit at you it's not going to go past you but you may not catch it cleanly it's just going to stay in front of you those are all those businesses and you don't have to explain shit to anybody but just be you be confident and take the opportunity and that's 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 really i would say the pitfalls that I see in a lot of the startups that I work with and many of the people that are in kind of the entrepreneurial world where they're like, ah, you know, I have this thing. I'm all in and people are going to judge me. I'm like, no one's going to judge you. Don't, don't go on social media to be judged. Like tell it to your friends and family or do whatever you need to do that gives you that. Um, because it ultimately could lead you to just be, be a fly on the wall on a, in a radio station and it changed your life. Yeah, I feel like one of the blessings of COVID and this whole experience, one of the silver linings is that I feel like what I've extracted and that like in the breakdown of society as we know it, it just illustrates that all this shit is made up. 
this entire experience that we have as humans is a social construct that can be shut down and changed. And like we, all the things that we did, we don't do anymore. The things that the person we were, we're different now. Like, and, and no one cares. Like no one cares. No one cares what you're doing. Like we think that. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite thing is when, uh, when uh, like someone said, like um, someone was like, Hey, what time do you wake up in the morning? And I was like, super proud. I was like, 6am. And he was like, great. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him and I'm like, you're goddamn right. No one cares. Oh, like, I don't know why I said that with pride or like, I was ex- waiting for you to be like, wow. I Like, honestly, no one fucking cares. <laughs> but, like That is how you do everything. Like you get up at 6am and you fucking get after it is no yeah. different than a surfer appreciating life and watching the sunrise at 5 30 a.m but like for you to get out there and be like did you know i woke up at 5 30 a.m this morning like at the end of the day you're right the social contract limits us but like no one fucking cares you have a right to be who you are yeah but like not to take that in a negative way that nobody cares about you so nothing I mean, you could take it in a negative way and say, no one cares. So let's take it in a negative way and be sad about it. That like, nobody cares about me. Woe is me. But, and that's not what I'm talking about. It's like, it, no one cares. So like, it completely removes any pressure. Bingo. Of, like, you needing to be a certain thing or act a certain way or what, live a certain way. No, Bingo. fuck it. Do you. <laughs> it, it, the freedom of. What do you and Sarah say to each other? We say a lot of things with each other. I'm not sure, but um, or something like that. <laughs> oh, right. Well, we're yeah. One of the, one of the many catchphrases or things we say to each other is just "Do you, boo boo?" Like <laughs> I don't care. Just do you. But like a little more serious and less like tongue in cheek is like you know. I, we're we're going on five years married, and I think that's you know who fucking cares is what the guy listening right now is like who fucking cares i've been married 25 years but the idea is is like that developing relationship and bond that we're creating what we always share between each other on like a professional front like business hat less relationship hat but it's like always bet on yourself and it doesn't fucking matter if you fail if you succeed if you fail fail then succeed if you succeed, succeed, then fail. Like it doesn't fucking matter, but always bet on yourself. Believe that you can and your actions will follow that. And if we can be a good, you know, partnership in that where we're both a cheerleader, a coach and mentors, then we always ground ourselves with like, Hey, always bet on yourself. It doesn't fucking matter. And you know, do you boo-boo like like that's that's how we can kind of well-round you know the seriousness with just being like you know just do you and if we can kind of see the beauty in that in each other trying things failing at things then then it empowers you like you were saying it strips away the the fear of judgment and just lets you like run as fast as you can whether you trip or not like keep getting up and keep going or walk like i don't care but like keep going 
And I think that's like the most important part is just like, if you need a break, take a break. If you want to, this season to f- come back to center, you know, shut down shop for a year to collect your kind of your, you know, your consciousness about what you want to do next. Like that's okay. Take that moment. But then when you dedicate and, and decide to go for it, like don't half do it, like go all fucking in. And that's where you need to have that balance where it's like, do you, if you need a break, take a fucking break. But like, if you're trying to get into REI, like fucking do it. Like wake up every day with that thought and it becomes kind of like second nature. Hell yeah. Ah, ho. All right. So now you created a segue uh what's next on this podcast is that we got to get into the question section because we oh we we already dove deep we already dove into like part two deep in part one um but we still have the questions so there's four questions that i ask everybody um two of them i think can go pretty quickly maybe even three of them and then there's one that uh you should definitely dive into the first one i think this can be a little bit quicker one uh is okay in terms of a breakthrough moment i guess well maybe you've already explained this i mean 91x was a breakthrough moment um tesla seems like it was a breakthrough moment was there a breakthrough moment for you where it like where things catalyzed i mean was that at 91x or was it like into the into the next version into like the version of you as like the professional like who you are now it's a good question. Um, <clears throat> so I think maybe one of the things that springboarded kind of my thought process were, was understanding that, you know, someone I was working for, like Elon Musk, um, they're, they're actually, I recommend it to you, Taylor, and uh, your listeners that um, like, there's a documentary called The Revenge of the Electric Car. There's also a, a sequel to that. And I, I, I'm not sure if it's the first one or the second one, but Revenge of the Electric Car dives into Elon's initial, you know, dive into Tesla. And what was really humbling and like a real breakthrough moment, because when I was working at Tesla, I had this wild harebrained idea to go to design school at the same time. And I was trying to get myself into design school and I was going to art classes and design at night, trying to develop a portfolio to make it into art center, um, which was a school of Pasadena that I knew a lot of Tesla designers worked for. And I was like desperately trying to expand who I was. I was known as radio guy, but I was, I, I have a family of artists and, and I, I wanted to expand my sort of understanding of three-dimensional concepts. So I was like, design school feels right. A lot of the Tesla people have gone to here. And as I was kind of desperately seeking, you know, that direction, I was so intimidated by the high quality and caliber of people going into Art Center College of Design to where I thought 
it was a long shot, maybe a pipe dream. And I saw this documentary and the breakthrough happened when Elon, who at this time, you know, if people don't know, he was one of the four founders of PayPal, created one of the very first websites that was analogous to like the yellow pages, what became Yelp even before that. So he had like internet fame and was definitely a millionaire, you know, a hundred millionaire, maybe a couple times over at this point and decided I'm going to do an electric car company in Silicon Valley and everyone's laughing at him. And he invests all this money, gets investors to give him all this money. And I think he ended up selling like a hundred Tesla roadsters, maybe even less than that. And these cars were like 150,000, definitely not an inexpensive car. And I think he was like moments from launching or these people taking delivery of their brand new electric car. And there was a scene in the documentary where he's like at an airplane hangar and all these like glitzy, gorgeous Tesla roadsters are all like in the airplane hangar. And like, you kind of feel like he's excited because like, oh, these, like this car's in pieces, but I'm not gonna ask questions. This car's questionable, but I'm not gonna ask questions, but these cars all must be like, you know, ready to be delivered any moment now. And like the head engineers, like coming to the conference room, I have to tell you some bad news. None of these cars are ready to be delivered. And by the way, we're totally fucked. <laughs> and Elon is like, what are you talking about? He's like, we need more money. These cars aren't ready. We are desperately, and I'm, I'm totally abridging the whole documentary. So spoiler alert, but like, it's essentially like we, need funds like yesterday otherwise we have to shut down shop and any person would my opinion would would be scared shitless and one of his first things were i want to put my money where my mouth is and it's easy to be a hundred millionaire and be like sure i'll give you 50 million but like that's also 50 fucking million dollars to where he was like i'm gonna write a personal check you know, not the investors, not go raise capital, not ask shareholders, even the, before they're public, I'm going to give the money. And he went all in and he wrote a fat check and all those cars somehow managed to get fixed up and dialed and all the panels, which were all janky and off center and not aligned, like got aligned and the cars went out. And that was a literally a make or fucking fail moment and he didn't fail he got a couple people of fame to buy the cars drive around them be pictured in them and that that like was such a an inflection point in tesla to where that moment where he was like i'm not gonna let this fail i'm going all in i'm doubling down was a breakthrough moment for me to where like I was thinking I was going to fail at this pipe dream idea of making it to a design school. And it was like, actually, I'm going to do what he fucking did. And I'm going all fucking in. And it was no sleep till Brooklyn. I'm going, I was building, designing, 3D freaking printing, asking people, desperately going to family, helping me critique pieces. Like I'm looking for things. And I was like, 
I can either take this intimidation and you know, walk or I go balls to the walls. And that was, you know, not to be cheese ball, but that was what Elon did. So I'm going to try it. And in my own way, I don't have $50 million, but I have sweat equity and I'm going to give it to this. And that was my version of $50 million in my world that I was like, fuck it, I'm doubling down. And that breakthrough moment was recognizing that someone I looked up to like had that same vulnerability of fucking shit in your pants. What you do, you step up to the plate. And like, that guy is just a human being. Like he's no different than us. He's just as scared as everything else. And now he's like a household name. But like at the time, like, you want, you want to talk about pressure. Like every, everyone was expecting him to fail and he was like, fuck it, I'm not failing. So that moment seeing that, acting on it while working there like gave me this weird inception you know vortex to where i was like oh dude nothing can stop me and that was that idea of you know went to art, went to arts art center at night got myself a portfolio got myself into art center and then i was off to the races learning you know design language in the 3d sense to where I was going to use this new knowledge and bring it to Tesla. And that breakthrough moment, I, I swear to God, came from a documentary. So it, it was, it can come from anywhere. Don't be fooled. It uh, highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, go see it. But um, you know, if you want to be about it, you really got to be about it. <laughs> Hell Yeah. That was a breakthrough moment and a half. I like that. That was great. Um, That's inspiring. Nice. Um, okay, so now second question. We talk about flow state a lot. You and I do. We had an idea. We have this idea that's brewing called flow state. Now, still brewing. Still Love brewing. It. It's not. We're not taking it off the burner um, just yet. But uh, what is one of your favorite flow state moments that you've experienced in your life? I mean, flow state is, is kind of a new term. Yeah. And I give you credit for it. It was, it was this term that I was desperately seeking and I didn't have a term for it and flow state just fucking stuck the landing. And that was what it was, but like my whole life, you know, back to 91 X and even before that, like, you know, working with coaches in high school or, or meeting musicians or, you know, talking to poets or artists. Like I, I was, I was like almost weirdly interested on their creative process. Not like, how do you paint, but like, how do you get yourself into that mode to paint? Or how do you lock in and be like, all right, I'm locked in for the game. Or how do you like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, the mentality? Like, I, I get what you do in the game, but like what triggers lead you to that? And I remember I actually worked with the a wonderful radio person named Sammy Skolmowski, who I still keep in contact with. And Sammy had, um, we had some mutual friends, but a lot of them became, you know, famous in their own right and musicians and managers of musicians. And I was like picking her brain as to like, 
that process? Like in the many people that we know, like what, what interesting processes lock these people in to that creative flow? And so I was always asking people that I looked up to, like, how do you get yourself into that moment? And I didn't know it was called flow state. And there was this one particular person that was a musician that, you know, maybe on the surface, you're like, you're an incredible guitarist. But I wanted to learn a little bit more. And so I was like, all right, so what, how do you get into that mode? And this person would get into their studio and didn't and never wanted to be interrupted with having to turn a machine on or adjust the volume knob or turn on a microphone or pick up on a guitar and would just like get in and in like literally for 15 minutes turn everything on adjust the volume knobs get everything like dialed so then when that moment whenever it may strike it just fucking hits and i don't have to worry about turning something on or finding the power switch and so i was like wait what like you you just set up everything in your studio just in case that moment of like clarity for guitar or singing or keys like at any point you could strike you didn't want to miss it and that has always like resonated with me where I'm like how do I get myself into that position to where when the moment strikes I'm ready for it and you know you I, I say well, you all but like really anyone who's played sports might have experienced the same thing where like the play is moving slower maybe the crowd eventually goes away. Now all of a sudden, like you're seeing things before they happen. Like I've experienced this in a game, but like, how do I recreate it anywhere else? And so I was always looking for how do I lock myself in? And it was like in design school at like 3 a.m., you know, you're blurry eyed, you're with a bunch of other classmates that are all like kind of going through this whole thing. And we were working on this like collective group project and like we were all such like at burnout red line like you know off the richter scale no one's seen or talking straight and we had this like collective group thinking exercise to where we all had this breakthrough and we were getting ready for this presentation in the group of us like without any of our guard up we were so vulnerable that we found a way to like collectively gather our thoughts and put together this presentation that like literally the next four hours from then we were going to have to give that we had this breakthrough to where I was like, it was that vulnerability dropping that guard that we all experienced at the same time that allowed us to come to the table and like put forth an idea and everyone was feeling it. It was like, it locked in. And then that moment, that presentation at 7 a.m. was coming and it happened and none of us had slept, but we all like stuck the landing. And it was that moment where it wasn't, it was almost back to like football or sports where I was like, I didn't, it wasn't just a me experience. Like it was an us experience. And like the collective energy that we shared was like the drug I've never tried before. I was like, that is a high I've never experienced before. And that flow state, that locked in moment, maybe it was our process of like being so burnt out that it led to that. But like recreating that, I've been chasing ever since. Like getting with people, writing 
you know, pilots for episodes, you know, developing concepts, you know, you name it. Like we try and do that. And I'm like, all right, how do we get to that moment? And like, I'm constantly chasing it successfully or not. And then you introduced the book, Stealing Fire, which just so happened to be written by these incredible intellects that studied this exact thing that brought Navy SEALs in Silicon Valley and guys like Eric Schmidt and Navy team SEAL six and like connected the dots between like this person who has to lock in for a mission without the ability to think or breathe. You have to be so on because you have nine other guys depending on you. And a guy like Eric Schmidt, who's the leader of Google, who has an entire hundred million dollar company, depending on this decision, they come to decisions in a very similar fashion. They're both locked into flow state. And I was like, fuck, that is that moment that I've been, this is why I asked this musician, how do you get into that, that groove to write music? And he's like, I just turn everything on. And it's like, that is flow state. And I've since recognized much, you know, credit goes to you where things like roasting coffee that require all my focus and I, and I roast and it, it, it comes out and I'm looking at every sensor, every sensory feeling I, I'm like, I'm listening to, it squeezes everything else out almost meditatively when I go rock climbing with friends and we go to Joshua tree and go bouldering, like I'm holding on with two fingers, my entire body weight. Like I'm not thinking about my responsibilities that I have to do, but like it squeezes everything out and then going surfing, you're on a wave. Like it somehow squeezes everything out. You know, when you get lost into playing guitar or listening to music or watching something, you know, Broadway play, like it somehow squeezes the world and responsibilities out of your brain. Like how the fuck does that happen? One, and how do you recreate that too? And I recognize that it's not as difficult as you think. And maybe you're putting way too many barriers between you and that moment of of clarity that if you can create a scenario where one leads to another leads to another then your entire day becomes you know to use a term you taught me which was a state of flow your entire day is a state of flow and that i don't mean to be like too fucking holier than now i'm not i'm no doctor fucking phil but like i recognize that one of these moments meditating surfing in the morning can really impact my day at work and my day at work can really impact me rock climbing after work and rock climbing after work can really impact you know that creative session with a writer can really impact then the next you know coffee label you know, powwow, you know, then can lead right into, you know, working with a new startup that's trying to develop the next greatest thing. It's like, literally, they all are states of flow, that that in and of itself, like if, if you just consciously understand that they can lead you to the next thing, then it's not so much of a challenge to, to change gears or shift. But like, you're really taking that the way you started that day through the entire day and working with 
younger people trying to develop businesses and you know i'm trying to pitch the next greatest thing i often tell them like you know start with a, a workout in the morning like as basic as that is like it gets that kind of element and it's like scoff haha yeah i work out already in the morning but you're like no but recognize what's that what that does to you on days you do and days you don't in the days that you do how much more or different do you feel and it's like once that like light bulb clicks you're like right wait 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 that i think i think you're right the days i did work out or surfed or yoga or meditated allowed me to then hit that stride you know at 7 a.m versus you know 10 a.m lunch break back at two like it's so disjointed so that state of flow it's happened in like a really organic, you know, our grades depend on this to like, even where I am today, where I get the opportunity to work with other startups and, and, and get them to that point. Um, so yeah, flow state was the term. I didn't know it existed. I've since shared this book with many people. I think it does a really good job of kind of like explaining this kind of nebulous, concept which is ecstasis and and marry it with science and bring it to contemporary examples which is like everyone knows on this planet navy seals are badass you know everyone can kind of assume ceo of a large fortune 500 company is might be badass in in one way or another but like are they related can they learn from any, anything from one another and the answer is a resounding fucking yeah they can <laughs> Fucking yeah, they can. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, and I mean that's the coolest thing about flow state in general is that everybody has felt it in one way or another. It's like an essential, like element of being human. Like we lose ourselves in the moment. Mm, that's yeah. another way of putting it. You lose yourself. Yeah. Where like um, have you? Yeah. There's a, there's just so many movies that kind of touch on that exact thing where you just lose yourself. Yeah. Um, when I was painting, it's funny that, <clears throat> that I just said that when I was painting earlier today, on my, I'm listening through this giant playlist of all the music I've ever liked on Spotify. And I'm like handpicking songs for other ones. And the the song, one song that came on today was Lose Yourself by Eminem. As I was painting, <laughs> and I was like into it. I was feeling flow state, full on, like, turn that shit up and I am going to town on this fucking <laughs> landscape I'm painting. It was, yeah, uh, but he's so right. And that there's something that's so moving about that movie and the concept and like hip hop in general. And like, I mean, uh, you know, freestyling, holy shit. Like that's like, you're at the knife edge of your consciousness and thought. And, um, and there's so many different, ways of doing that sort of like a freestyle thing in different arts and crafts and skills and um it's wild flow state's a, a total trip and i honestly think it should be like either part of your curriculum or extension to like growing up like you everyone needs to find that where you can lose yourself in that element you know play-doh at one years old you know drawing whatever it might be like you might have experienced it 
But if you haven't, like, don't you want to? Oh, I'll bet and they have. I mean, have once or twice. Like, don't you want to do it again? It's like kids are always in flow state. It's like when you become an adult, you start to like form this like concrete mindset. And like, that's where things start to like slow down and solidify. It's like kids are fucking jello in this like jello flow state. Hey, you want to play blocks right now? Sure. Cool. And then after that, you want to go out and like plan the swing set or whatever. It's like, uh, and then as adults, it's like, this is work. Yeah. Does this make money or not? And if it's making money, then I need to be serious. And being serious means not being creative and fun. There's a band called Current Joy, Current Joys that I, I recommend the song Kids. Um, and in like the first few lines of the song, he's describing that exact thing where like kids don't in fact lead with their brain, they lead with their heart. And like maybe as two grown people, like that's cheesy to say, but like, listen to that song and tell me that doesn't resonate with you. Like, that's exactly what it is. Like you may fall on your butt, but you're not like leading with your brain. You're leading with your heart and imagination. And if those two things can, can lead, like maybe not everyone can do that or be as fortunate to be you know, a prolific artist and let that be the language you speak that transcends time and space. But like, you can find your version of that. And I, I really, if you lead with your heart, you can't go wrong. Like you really, like you might, it might get you into trouble in certain situations, but like your intention, like the heart, is, it, it's just like a pure intention and it's a pure space to operate from. And if you do that, like you're never, you can never be like that in the wrong. Well, you'll at least learn something from it. Definitely. And that's, I think where always, yeah, I think if you can learn something from it, then you're, you're on your way to uh, figuring it out. And if you're on your way to figuring it out, you're on your way to mastering it. Yeah. Um, all right. So we got two more questions. <laughs> Part one is okay. So let's do question three, super quick, <laughs> like a, a, a short answer. Give me like three sentences. <laughs> advice say that with a smirk like i clearly recognize every sentence and answer you've given me is way too fucking long i have to edit you thanks for making my life a miserable hell not uh, well, here we go radio guy no i'm just kidding <laughs> no that's the beauty i mean like time time is whatever the fuck we want it to be and this is a podcast format and it like Time doesn't matter. And if people want to press pause and then pick it up later, they can do that. So this is, I mean, really the intention of this podcast is for people to listen while they work, while they make their art. And like mm. me as an artist, like I want podcasts to be long because I'm going to be painting for four hours at a time. So like, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the vision of all this. So, so season two is pretty cool because it's like part one and part two like this is going to be like a two hour, two and a half hour podcast, which is sweet. Like that's, that's great. That's what I want. Um, and if people want to like listen to it in short bursts when they drive to work for 15 minutes and great, they pick up little chunks. That's the beauty of the format, man. Party on. Yeah. Um, Ready for okay. it. Here we go. Advice. But we do want to get to part two because part two is the most fun that I'm seeing. Like this is, this shit gets crazy. 
Um, but anyway, so uh, question three is, uh, what is your advice to aspiring creatives? Take the opportunity. It's that simple. There's not an opportunity that you can tell me won't lead to your next big break. And having lived in Los Angeles, here's the short answer, since you're looking at me sternly. <laughs> the short answer is, is in a coffee shop in Los Angeles, there could be someone to your right or to your left working on a script or a sketch that could be their big break that lets them get that Netflix you know, feature that lets them sell their app and gets them the payout that quote unquote determines that they are successful and allows them to buy that house in the hills. And literally the person to your right is working on it. The person to your left is working on it. And maybe the, what we have all in common is we haven't done shit yet, but like that moment could be right fucking there for either one of us. It's not competitive, but it's a shared energy. It's a collective motion that we have in common. I don't know you, I don't know you, but like we're both here to do that. And that is where I come from when I say take the opportunity because that opportunity could lead to that person showing up that leads to that big break. And I think being careful with yeses and nos is more of a hurdle that you're going to have to overcome later than if you just say, yeah, oh, you know what? I put that in a bucket of that fucking sucked. Or I put that in a bucket of holy crap, that was life-changing. Any creative should take any opportunity because that could be that moment. And, and to me, as a creative, you owe it to yourself at the end of the day. Like, what, who are you to be so certain that this isn't that moment. And to me, certainty is the biggest hurdle that any creative has to overcome. Am I certain this is gonna pay X amount of dollars? No. Am I certain this is gonna give me that opportunity? Like, no, but like life isn't certain. Like walking outside my door isn't certain, but like I'm, I'm the type of person, you've heard this before, that I have to be sure before I make that decision. Or I have to know every dot of I's and T's crossed before I can say yes, before I make that decision. In my approach, it was like, dude, or gal, go for it, do it. Because if you won't, someone else will. And guess what? That might be their moment. And it's not a competitive thing, but like, wouldn't you rather that be you? <laughs> yep i would i would like that to be me <laughs> exactly totally go for it oh man love it okay uh and i like how you cut that off you're like you thought about it, you just like let it hang there it was like this nice space that was like okay cool yeah i do want that to be me <laughs> all right question four here this is the this is the big shebang of bang. I told you not to think about this when I talked about it yesterday at the dog park. <laughs> but Carlos Montoya is your definition of art. My definition of art, I haven't thought about this, not one bit. My definition of art, honestly, like from my heart of heart, I think having 
like what's the first thing that comes to my head i think art is timeless and to be timeless is to recognize that i can look at an art piece and see your effort even if it's a simple single line drawing i can see your skill and not only do i see all of these things but someone a century from now can see the same thing in that same art piece and i think to be effective in said art is to be timeless cars have designs that last the test of time. And then there's cars that you look one or two years removed and you're like, wow, that's so dated. Fashion is, is constantly dating itself, but there's some that remain timeless. There's some artists, Renaissance to, you know, uh, expressionism to, you know, name your factions of art. There's some artists that kind of get to that point where it's like, it doesn't matter time or place or, or where we are in the world, but that piece holds itself. And if it can be timeless and also share a message, then you've married both storytelling and that kind of sweet spot of art, which allows that story to live in infamy. And there's nothing more rewarding or I think more of a goal for any creative, which is to have that one piece live and last well beyond your days. And if you can have that, maybe it's one or two. And if you're lucky more than that, define you, then I, I think you've been an effective artist in, a, in establishing your voice. And if you can create a piece that has lasted the test of time, then I think you've, you're a successful in no matter what monetary, you know, whatever your definition of success is, but if it can last the test of time, you got something there. Timeless. I like that. And that, I mean, that connects to flow state because in flow state, time fades away. And so then like looking at a piece of art that is timeless, you're sort of like warped into this dimension where the artist and the creator was while they were making it. So it's like this timeless element is happening on both the creation and the viewing and experience side of it. Uh, it's just like almost like an hourglass shape coming into this timelessness, like this essence. You know, it does a really good job at that. Like most artists, I believe strive for that, but a lot of artists don't paint to be timeless. Like I, I know that's kind of an oxymoronic where it's like, that might be a goal, but that's not like what you seek in this painting. I want this to last the test of time, but like, it's really humbling to talk to like bread bakers. You're like, what on earth gets you up in the morning that you're like, I have to bake the best sourdough bread today. I want it to last the test of time. Like maybe, or maybe not, that's who you are. But like a bread baker might be operating on a recipe that is older, than most countries certainly 
4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years before that. And if that person's taking water, flour, creating yeast, letting it leaven, creating then a sourdough, putting it in the oven, like, is that not timeless? Is that not transcending millennia? Like, is that not like a connection thread to a world before, if you believe in it, Jesus, like, or Judaism or Hinduism? Like, this connects beyond that. So if a bread baker can wake up in the morning and be like, I'm so fired up to bake a bagel. <laughs> I'm so fired up to bake a baguette. Like if that person is like that fired up, like, isn't that a form of timeless art? So it's like, you may not have like the same come from or your goal painting a beautiful portrait might not be like, I want this to stand the test of time, but like that portrait could be Mona Lisa. And that Mona Lisa then like, with you removed like stands the test of time. And I think like, bring it back to the simple parts. Like you don't have to think always, you know, like these crazy kind of higher level intellectual, if only I could be like the greats, like just find your lane, go all in, hope that what defines you is what makes you timeless and just go for it. Those that's really all it is like, let that be what defines you and you hope it, it stands the test of time test of time love it that's really good all right um let's uh let's tell the people where they can follow you i mean they heard it beforehand they hear it every time on the podcast but uh they can follow your company at myadventure.com <clears throat> Right. Yeah. So as a coffee roaster, I highly recommend any coffee fans to visit my adventure coffee. Um, I think my approach with that is I'm really trying to find the best coffee and, you know, only provide one, two, maybe three or four flavors that I am most confident that you're going to love. And I've been able to partner with you, Taylor, to create, you know, a certain subset of those products for people like that. So I think myadventurecoffee.com is, is, is maybe the best place uh, to follow what I do and who I am. But I think LinkedIn is maybe the most and only active social media platform I'm on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not on Instagram, I'm not on Facebook, but I am on LinkedIn and I get an opportunity to work with a lot of people with ideas that might be more than an idea but like you're trying to form a company and maybe you're forming a company you might have a business partner you might have your first employee and you're seeking funding that that is a good time for us to work together because i've shared a lot of those knowledges and experiences that i've experienced in creating companies um that you know linkedin might be a good opportunity to where if you just want to someone to chat with or wrap out um i could share more companies and more ideas that i've been able to launch and create that you know could lend for and my ultimate goal is like i rather conversate with you on the phone or in person than you know anywhere else so linkedin um you know the carlos montoya is where you'd find me or you know any of my new roast on myadventurecoffee.com. Um, and don't forget to use 
Taylor at checkout (laughs) (laughs) for extra, um, a little coin saved. And um, honestly, a little tip to Taylor and his wonderful fans. I humbly thank you for the time tonight. Um, Thank you. Really, I, I, I genuinely thank you for being a good friend but just give me the opportunity to, uh, to talk to your audience. Oh man. I very much appreciate you coming on to the show. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I can attest to what you were talking about with the LinkedIn stuff. I mean, you and I were hanging out by the pool, uh, last weekend, just talking and I was just flushing out this idea with you and you just helped me see this huge picture, you know, like put it into context, ask me the questions that really brought things into focus, you know, like get things kind of this idea flushed out, you know, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do here? Like realistically rubber meets the road type stuff. And then also the bigger picture. And I mean, and honestly, that's like, that's the business side of you. And like, you just got this amazing wisdom to you, Carlos. It's, it's been awesome getting to know you and I'm stoked on what you've got going. It's cool seeing the coffee company come together and yeah, the, the listeners here are getting a, a nice, nice gift of, of wisdom here. Um, Thank you, man. Appreciate so. the opportunity. Um, yeah, as a, as a listener, I'm excited to be one of your guests. So thank you. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, to end part one, why don't you leave the guests with one more little bit of wisdom? <laughs> wisdom on command. Yeah, yeah, we need it fast. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't have anything prepared for this segment, but... Um, First yeah, thought, I think, thought. I think maybe perspective is what I'll leave everyone with. And if you don't think you can do it, you're wrong you can do it and there are things that you might feel like you're not good at but that's what growth feels like and growth means not feeling comfortable and you should believe in yourself and you should think that you can create a you know a a 10 million dollar company a hundred million dollar company you should be able to look at yourself in the mirror and confidently say, yeah, I can fucking do this and go for it. Cause if not, when, and if it's not you, then it's someone else. And I have the experience of seeing people, you know, with, you know, one parent, you know, single mother, you know, couple jobs that you're juggling. And yet that person is able to manage their life their kids, their scenario. And if that person's not busting at the seams, they're not getting a medal. They're not getting attaboys. They're not getting invites to podcasts. They're just doing what they fucking do. So if anyone can do it, it's the blue collar people. It's the people that fucking work 15 hour days as a plumber who have a phenomenal idea, but just think, no, I'm just maybe this somebody with a label and i don't think they give themselves credit because if anyone let's just come up with the storybook movie yes but if you come from poverty from new orleans and you're you know a certain type of person like you can get yourself to princeton you can get yourself the c-suite executive you can create that app you can create name fill in the blank it's just the belief 
And if you can believe it, then you can act on it. And if you can act on it, then you will do it. So if you don't think you can, just look down the street and look at the single parents that do it anyways. So I give the credits to all the single moms and dads that juggle everything and don't get a fucking lick of credit. So those people aren't doing it for kudos or $10 million companies. They're just doing it because that's how they do. So stop complaining, get after it, and make it fucking happen. Carlos Montoya, part one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Again, this podcast is brought to you by High Ground Coffee, an adventure coffee brand with a new twist on brewing coffee, wherein you steep coffee like it's a tea. You just drop a packet in hot water and you go. It's the newest way to brew coffee and it's awesome. Use coupon code TAYLOR at checkout for 15% off. Visit them at myadventurecoffee.com. That's myadventurecoffee.com. Okay, and we're back. TG, back with CM, part two in this MFing podcast that is <laughs> bad AF. <laughs> we get all that? Did that all Wow, I can't keep up with all the letters, but I'm here to play. Yeah, I mean, I'm in flow state right now, so it's like time doesn't even exist. It's just like click, click, click. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, I'm in. Um, that wave that cosmic wave so i see that you have a glass of whiskey another one and i've got another one and uh it's apple juice don't be fooled it's what it's the aj apple juice oh yeah sure yeah <laughs> high class uh ajaf <laughs> mm, smells like apple juice yeah i see you're rocking some aj as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah a 15 year apple juice yeah it's a, a single malt apple juice variety it's damn good founders reserve yeah. Ooh, founders reserve apple juice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man apple is not a stone fruit though Apple, because apple has, apples have seeds. Stone fruit is like a peach, correct? Yeah, peach, apricot. And coffee. Coffee is a stone fruit. Coffee is like a stone fruit. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So what's really interesting is the fruit itself is fermented. Fermented has a couple different processes. The process is then washed in again a different way varying on the style and then it's either heat dried by a machine it's either sun dried by the sun or it's like kind of a combination of both and sometimes they leave the skin on sometimes they peel the skin back and all of those input valves yield a different like actual coffee flavor when you then roast it grind it and brew it so it's like even within the same coffee farm the process in which they harvest the same green coffee can like yield crazy different results and finding and fine-tuning those um is, is part is like a kind of a design challenge it's like finding that best product for the moment but it's also really interesting because a lot of the big corporations, you know, 
like Blue Bottle, which was a really phenomenal coffee shop, but they were actually purchased by Nestle for maybe like half a billion dollars. And, and their whole thing was finding really great coffee, but, you know, investing in the coffee plantation or the coffee farm and then kind of monopolizing on this thing and then excluding, you know, small roasters, small batch roasters, you know, micro roasters, much like myself who want to get in on that. And Starbucks did that on a gross scale, you know, with Sumatras and Java's, those are all coffees found in like low lands, Indonesia, Pan Pacific. And they just said, you know what, we're, we're going to buy up all of these, or we're going to invest, or we're going to be part owner or, or whatever it is, and then squeeze out the little guys. So then what's really cool is like the little coffee farms, often mom and pops, like they want to sell, you know, their lots it's just not enough to be worthwhile for a national company who has maybe, you know, 200 brick and mortar stores. And they're, they're literally looking for hundreds of thousands of pounds and they're only have 10,000 pounds. So then it's like, what they, what do they do? And it's like, they have to find their niche and what they do really well. And it's like, everyone's trying to find their lane. And if everyone's roasting coffee, do you sun dry it skin on? Do you, you know, water wash, you know, honey wash, you know, what's your, what's your differentiator that allows you to find that, you know, a higher level. And then do you go and speak to Nestle or do you find, you know, certain brokers that work with you know, coffee roasters like myself, or do you find a coffee roaster directly and that coffee roaster buys it directly from you? And that last segment is really where we as high ground and the companies that we're trying to create in the coffee space are trying to spearhead, where it's like the people that are getting overlooked are still working along, you know, often steep hillsides but they're not getting, they don't have enough volume to even compete. So then they got to find someone else. And so it's like, well, if I come to you directly and let's say industry is paying, you know, $2 a pound, you know, and that's the industry standard. If you wanted to go to Nestle or you wanted to go over to Caribou or Pete's or Phil's, you know, any of these like next level, but still considered craft coffee joints, like you're not going to get their contracts. But what if I pay you 50 cents or, you know, screw it, a dollar more per pound, you know, and you, I just work with you directly, you know, what if I pay you $2 more per pound and that allows me to then not own your operation, but invest in you as the farmer that can adequately, you know, support their family that allows that person to be like, you know what, this is a client I want to develop and put more time and effort into. So along with a couple other local coffee roasters, steady state included, we go in collectively on a larger batch. And if they can find those direct farms, orchestrate those deals, I pitch in for an order, then like everyone wins. And so I get a little bit of their we all share amongst this, the farmers are supported, their families feel it's worth their while. 
now everyone's kind of all in and now we have like a symbiotic relationship to where you're not going to maybe get a hundred thousand pound order but like order ten thousand pounds from you and that idea is how we try to really be about it and I, I don't like getting into like uh, fair trade and rainforest alliance and like I don't like getting into like the acronym sort of race or like how great does this third party deem us to be but like let's just find good people that do good work support them and like together we can both win and that's really where um, yeah developing coffee and in a brand and and finding the right people to work with is is really a a fun interesting part of roasting coffee and learning the coffee business from the green side a lot of the short little guys small-time farmers like really get squeezed out and it's unfortunate but that's kind of the nature of of how the industry works because it's a global it's a it's in it's in it's in demand so they'll they'll find someone but you hope it's you and that really defines you and your flavor versus the next coffee shop yeah and what you're all the different ways that you're going about it you know like the price point and the way that you find things it's like it goes back to that frequency level that we talked about earlier about like where you're going to resonate and what things you're going to support with your vision, your intention. You know, do you want to take care of those farmers so that they can take care of the family so that they can focus on making better coffee so that they can, you know, have the money to, to pay for the things that they need to so that they can be organic or whatever, you know, like, can, like, are you going to put in what, needs to be put in to make it so that it's a high level thing or are you going to try to cut costs and skimp and you know worry about certain things but not other things and then like bring the frequency down it's like that's what one of the cool things about being an entrepreneur is that it's a big equation it's your own equation and you get to adjust the different variables in whatever way you want and the variables are adjusted off of what you want the outcome to be and what you want the overall balance of the equation to look like. Um, you know, like there's checks and balances to everything. You can't just go all out in every facet. So like, where are you going to put the weight of your energy into? Like what's, what's important to you? What do you, what do you stand for? And that's, that's something that I, I think is really a beautiful part of being an entrepreneur is the self definition of your vision, your idea, your like who you are being an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur, like really is a like act of self definition of like, who are you? What do you care about? Like, what do you want to bring into the world? And like, how do you want to leave people feeling and not just the people that buy your product or service, but also the people that you buy from and the people that you work with and, uh, and your employees and your shareholders and all the different things. Like how, like, what is, what do you want your effect to be in this world? Yeah. It's so cool. It's both, it's both empowering and, uh, and really intimidating because you're, 
it's like your the tip of the spear. It's like what to be summed up is you know an exercise that always always wrecked me like not in a healthy way like to be summed up like you're the radio guy or you're the x guy or you're the car guy or you are this and like to be summed up really hit home when like someone like kobe bryant died like that affected me as a fan that affected me as you know someone who's working with him that affected me uh as like you were working with kobe bryant yeah, our so there was another company that we didn't talk about in part one, but that was uh, Joy Tops. Joy Tops is a video game hardware company that focuses on human performance products for gamers. And our mission, to quote you, mission statement was like, we want to create human performance products for gamers. How do we do that? Where do we start? And the joystick was the first one. And Mamba who is Kobe Bryant's like nickname on the court, he created a company called Mamba Ventures. Mamba Ventures invests in companies much like Joy Tops. Joy Tops was like, we're, we're at Mamba Ventures in Calabasas. Like we're at the facilities where Kobe and all his best of the best are training. He got, you know, random athletes all over. It's this massive facility. But upstairs, he had this like innovation lab, startups, people like us, gamers, like everyone like met. It was just like this high level peak of performance, whether it's on the digital side or the court side, like met. And we were, we, my business partner, Brandon and I were going there quite a bit. And we were closing in on a deal when Kobe died. And Kobe died, it was heart-wrenching in many ways, living in Los Angeles and feeling the city mourn. And like, I had my own version of who he was as like a business person. I think earlier that year or the year before he had like won an Oscar for a documentary. Like he, he's like Oscar winning championship, like pioneer of mental, you know, cognitive, you know, thinking in, in such a way to where like it, it shifts everything on like its mentality first, game second, to where, you know, you're watching the local news on who this prolific person is and they bring up like his his allegations and things he did, you know, in, in a hotel room and like those situations. And to hear with all due respect, I have to say this because some of them I know, but like, like a TV anchor, you know, sum up Kobe Bryant's life in three sentences and bring up that, which you have every right to, that is part of who this person is, but like was left to this TV anchor on a local news channel to sum up this person in three sentences that I felt like I knew a different version of this person, the business side, the intellect, but yet it went back to that moment. Not, I, you know what, maybe this is getting me in trouble for even bringing it up, but I'm just saying like that idea to be summed up, like really, really wrecks you. So to have that mission and that identifier, like this is who I am is both empowering, but like 
it's also like uh, you're you know you're licensed to be that person like go go do that thing but like you're not defined completely by that thing and sometimes it like it messes with your head and I know I'm kind of talking in circles but like at some point when I was in radio and I was like kind of buying into this hype of, of being kind of a goofball like that bled into other things and I believed what I was saying and that was like maybe a kiss of death or like the beginning of the end where the second you start you know getting high on your own supply or drinking your own kool-aid like it's a slippery detrimental slope like you have to be defined by something have something be the wind to your sails but not let it drive the car and that's a fine line you need to be determined and motivated but like if the curveball comes your way like you're not devastated by it not going your way or a bounce going your way like you can adapt and if you don't like at that point reevaluate but it's both like you should have one of those maybe i don't say i should should with quotations and double underline like i don't actually know anyone should do anything but like if you do great let it be the wind behind your sails but like don't don't let it drive the car. Don't become the guy where you're like, no, I'm, I'm, I only graffiti in purple and I only write names in cursive. And it's like, okay, that's your thing. No one's going to stop you. But like, you don't ne necessarily need to let that like drive every other decision. And if it's not purple, screw it. And if it's not cursive, I'm not doing it. But like, if that's your niche, like go do it. Be, do you boo boo. But like, don't turn down certain things because it's not purple or incursive. Like, I know this is a crazy, stupid example, but like, that's the type of thing where it's like, it needs to be both. The well, it sounds like, it sounds like what you're talking about. I mean, in my little uh, new age filter, which is actually not new age at all. It's like super old Eastern philosophy, I guess is like, we're talking about like, uh the ego i mean some of that is like absorbing you know getting high on your own supply it's like you start to get filled up on your vision of yourself and then you like you're getting caught up in your own ego um or you're talking to like a, an, a, an attachment to a concept to a style i think like in terms of art the concept of style, people are always like, well, what style are you? What style do you paint? And I always try to block that answer or deflect it or like turn it around and do some jujitsu with that answer and say like, mm -hmm. I mean, really the style of a piece is dependent on your intention of the piece, the context, the, you know, all the different variables that are gonna go into that piece and then you're going to get the style. Like the style is actually like dependent on a lot of different variables that you put in and you can direct the style, but if you attach yourself to the style, then the style is actually a byproduct of previous intentions, previous concoctions of variables. And then you're, if you're attaching to that style, then you're really just trying to recreate the past, which is 
sort of along the same side lines of connecting to an ego because your ego is sort of like this like built up history of who you are and what you think you are and who you know these are the things I've done this is where I can hang, hang my hat um, and it's so it's not you're, you're caught up you're attached you're not being present and presence is like the true space of art that's where flow state exists I mean yes and no I mean it's always a yes and no because like a guy like Picasso you know he had a style but he wasn't thinking about it as you I, I'll bet that he wasn't like I'm gonna make this in my style I mean Picasso's style evolved throughout his entire life you know That's, like he had, but, he had his blue period and then he had this and then he had cubism and then he, and like everything just like evolves continuously and uh I guess I mean I don't know Picasso I didn't talk to him but I would I would say that he probably was like interested in a theme like you know day x of his life he was thinking about this theme and then he was like thinking about a bull so then it turns out to be this like wireframe image of a bull because he's like on this like minimalism cubism tip and then you know like and i'll and his, like his theme changed and like i mean evolved the style evolved throughout time but like, what's really interesting is style is what someone else quantifies it as. It's still him in the moment. And if you asked him to ask, it'd be him retrospectively going, um, how do I clump these groups of art together? Here's a term. It's like, what's your style is almost like reserved for third party interpretation you tell me that's not what an artist goes for but is often back to your niche like if if you're good at this if you find your lane in this like do that there's not a, a, a hindrance to that but like if you flip it and then you start talking in third you know <laughs> third party kind of sense where you're talking to yourself and you're like, I'm defined by this. I must only do this. Then you've let that lead and you've given more power to the style and you've eliminated the agency from yourself. Like you almost eliminate your ability to choose anything. Right. And that in and of itself well, is like the style at that point. Yeah. You're like, Oh no, I'm a cubist, you know, artist you know name your thing that's who i am it's like wait but those are terms that other people define you as like you're just an artist you're just a creative and maybe it's easy for anyone to say well, if you look at his body of work you know well, everyone kind of knows the standard but like you know that that's this period but those are almost reserved for like looking backwards totally like as an artist you really shouldn't even I mean, at, being asked, like, what's your style? What's the, whatever, like, you're being asked to become, like, the art curator of a gallery of your own art rather than being the artist. The artist, like, the art takes place in the moment, in the studio, on the wall, in the, at the wheel, whatever the hell kind of art you do. Like, that's the art. And to talk about it, it's almost like, like, okay, the listeners, listeners don't know this, but you don't dream. But then, and, and we, you know, 
you, Sarah, me, Haley, we've been talking about this. Haley is an herbalist. She's got all these like funky, wild herbal concoctions. Some of them induce dreaming. And so then she started to be like, hey, she gave you these herbs to like drinking a tea or whatever, you know, before you go to bed and you started dreaming. And it's, it's been cool because we've been talking about this dream concept. Mm -hmm. One thing that I said was like, that's coming up right now is how dreams are like, are the most dynamic changing things. It's like watching, I don't know, like watching the craziest movie, like Inception or like Dr. Strange was kind of like that. How like the whole, everything is changing continuously but, and you have an understanding of it while you're in the dream world, but words do not cover it. They don't even get close to encapsulating what's happening in the whole thing. So when you try to talk about your dream, like you're like working in a two-dimensional form when dreams are in full 3D or 5D or whatever the hell D they're in. And so you only like you you don't even do it any sort of justice you're like putting labels on it but you're missing the whole thing and that's what like talking like an artist talking about their style or like even talking about it like you're you're missing the bigger thing which is the whole experience yeah and that goes to what's really interesting is language is actually really limiting yeah it does not describe you know, feelings, you know, context, understanding, it, it gives an oversimplification to what that is. And that goes back to, to Kobe, like, how do you, how do you describe someone in, I have five seconds, give me the first, you know, five second version of that. And it's like, maybe that quantifies to 15 words, like I have 15 words to hit a mark that defines Taylor G's art style. And like, that is such a disservice to the artist. And I think athletes, professionals, you know, of any sort, whether it's surfing to plumbing, to coffee roasting, to Fortune 500, like those are forms of art. But like, if you had to describe it, you might go like, well, he's a mechanical engineer. And it's like, you are right. Elon is an engineer, but like that word doesn't, say enough and it's so limiting to then be beholden to like yeah but you only have one word to describe this thing and so when you go to dreams you're like i, I you know it's in passing we're in a public space the dream comes up like you only have a short amount of time to explain it to someone so how do you kind of get to the point in such short amount of time you try and use words that describe that, but it's so limiting. And it's really that descriptor that is like kind of a wall. It's not like a springboard. You're like, ah, oh, I get it. But you're like, okay. And so- it's Like a bottleneck. It's a bottleneck, you but it's a also- big, big thing It's also English. English is a bottleneck. Like there are other languages that have words that describe like far more descriptors and maybe in the same amount of syllables, but like English particularly has synthesized it so many times for so long to where like you're stressed and you're like, ah, oh, that's what it is. You suffer from being stressed. And you're like, no fucking childhood, you know, 
factors of relationship. It's like, there's so many things, but like you say, I'm stressed. And you're like, yeah, but I didn't describe it. And that's why people fucking spend so much money on therapy. Cause you're like, define stress for me. And they're like, oh yes, sit on this table. Let me charge you 500 bucks an hour. And you're like, thank you. You have done it for me. You have connected this point to this point. That's what makes you. And you are now this thing. And you're like, yes, thank you. And you're like, but wait, have I not just kind of answered my own question? Like, of course I know it's not just fucking stress, but you need to kind of go through the reflective moment to unpack that. And human brains love to make connections. And if you make a connection, we also love to then assign blame. Well, that was the thing that got me here. That's the reason why I'm this way. That's the thing. And at that point, it can either be the point that defines you or you take it and go, cool, now what? And that's really where you had to take everything. Where it's like dreams, feelings, stress. Okay, I can't really describe it. Art is so many more things than looks good. But like, I don't know what else to say. I'm walking by your amazing piece on Carlsbad Village Drive. Someone's, and people are like, you know, their face says like a million things, but then they're like, cool. And you're like, Ugh. quote, cool by the surfer guy walking by. You're like, no, but what he meant to say was like, dude, this blew my fucking mind. Reminds me of the situation when I was a kid or whatever it is, but like, it's so much more than cool or it's so much more than stress. And if, if you recognize that, that inherently there are industries that unpack words you're like really it's the word that's the problem it's not me it's like let's talk about stress <laughs> and then you're like okay hmm what are other words that describe how i'm feeling and you can't use the word stress it gets really interesting totally um all right I got this burning question for you. Ready? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yep, I'm ready for it. Hold on. Let me take some uh, AJ. AJ, apple juice. That's right. A little more apple juice. I'll have some more, too. Ooh, sorry. That's the... Will you... Uh, here, your question is, uh, will you tell us about your grandfather? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, on my dad's side, my... Thank you for asking. That's... So kind of you, uh, my grandfather, Jose Montoya, was a, an amazing man, much like many of our grandfathers were, but he had the opportunity to really make an impact on the Chicano community. And he is a person who grew up in New Mexico, uh, came from no means, um, art was his outlet. And before he passed, uh, I think three or four years now ago, he was the poet laureate of the state of California. He was a professor for the art department at Sacramento State University and was a prolific artist and really had the opportunity to transcend um, and use his God-given art ability to push forth the civil rights movement for the United Farm Workers Union. And Dolores Huerta, 
Cesar Chavez were family friends of ours by way of my grandfather who was a prolific artist and created, you know, posters, flags, t-shirts, really decked out the movement that was creating and developing rights for these marginalized people, you know, an often overlooked historical time period in the United States was there were um, like legal immigrants, the Bracero movement that brought forth hundreds of thousands of Mexican migrant workers that work the fields that essentially all in California provided um, the produce. And we are back. We had a slight malfunction there. Um, I'm pretty sure there was a glitch in the matrix and <laughs> agents were onto us there for a second because there was some, there's been some good stuff going on. So let's keep Wait, what? Asians were onto us? No, 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 the, no, no, no. Asians, no. Asians are fantastic. Agents, these on <laughs> no, the Matrix, the guys in the black suits with the glasses. Oh, catching up. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson, because we were moving too fucking fast for these. Oh, wow, right. Like that. Does that make you Neo? You are the one. You are. You are the one. <laughs> <laughs> you are the only one. <laughs> <laughs> um but you were talking about your grandpa and uh and it was cool because in this little break when your computer was glitching you sent me his uh wikipedia page and i've been reading it and yeah you were talking about how he worked with like the the farm workers and mm -hmm. you know just keep going from there go for it yeah so he from his background, you know, his mother was an artist, he was a farm worker. Um, you know, that experience lended it, itself to, you know, spearheading what he saw, which were the conditions that the farm workers were having to deal with. And kind of, you know, his skill set and what his experiences by working the farms himself, you know, you know, literally at the age of nine years old, you know, working alongside his parents and his family members, picking lettuce and grapes, um, you know, that people buy for the grocery, you know, at the grocery store for a couple bucks, led him to create art that became propaganda, that became symbols of a movement and joined alongside create an artist essentially a, a collective created um a what 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 is now the rcaf the royal chicano air force which was you know a, a group of artists that bound together to create silkscreen flags posters t-shirts um help organize, you know, movements, marches from Delano to Bakersfield, like literally marching on to the Capitol, demanding to be heard. And that inherent, you know, the, the mission is greater than the person. 
um, you know, I resonated throughout my entire family. Um, you know, my father um, had a number of siblings and they all, you know, share stories of sitting at the dinner table, you know, being a part of a strategy conversation between my grandfather and, and Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez and, and, and trying to figure out how to get everyone, you know, aligned and whether or not it was a formal meeting, a back alley meeting, or, you know, just kind of an understanding he in part was a big voice to the common man and gave from an observationalist uh, perspective that humanized you know a lot of these you know marginalized people you know he himself fought in the korean war he himself you know was a veteran but wasn't given you know the same respect as you know the next guy who might have been a different skin color and who was a veteran so you know from an early age to when he got his master's and became a you know a, a professor at sacramento state teaching chicano studies like really created programs to uplift you know those communities of color to recognize that you know don't overlook people like that like himself and created programs that still have roots to this day and is known as a pivotal figure in the Chicano movement. And I, I, I owe everything, you know, in large part to who I am from him. Um, growing up in Sacramento, um, spending time with him, you, it's, it's hard not to absorb his music ability, his writing ability, his artistic ability, and translate that into some expression of something in my own right. Um, he had lots of grandkids, lots of kids who had kids, and we were all just so lucky to be a part of it. And he, you know, throughout his life was a muralist, much like yourself, has pieces that are still up to this day here in San Diego in Sacramento and all throughout the state. And a lot of my cousins, a lot of my uncles are still very much in the art scene and have become prolific in their own right. And, you know, I've joined and participated in, in my own way in, in, in supporting that. And some of my very own cousins, you know, have touched up some of his murals and they really stand the test of time and they really showcase a time and a place. And that time and a place, you know, guys like uh, Luis Valdez, you know, who was a great director, you know, made the movie Zoot Suit Riot, I believe. And that gave, you know, that gave kind of a look and it kind of showed the United States, you know, a lot of what, you know, this culture represents. It's like, you know, you know, guys and gals that dress sharp, that care what they look like, but, you know, also don't come from a lot of means and maybe they're blue collar workers at heart. And, you know, just like the women's suffragette movement 
you know, African-Americans going through their own civil rights movement, you know, they were, they were a, another lane of really pushing the envelope in, in, in allowing, you know, common Americans to accept these people as citizens. And maybe they weren't maybe by legal standards, but they were providing the same foods that citizens enjoyed and took for granted. So how could you see someone and not give them their credit and due? So he he was a poet. He he spoke with his pen. He spoke with his paintbrush. Um, and you know, we as the Montoya family try hard to uplift and support his message. And. Um, yeah, he, he, I mean, he has just a lot of really famous poems that I remember as a little kid, you know, reading and it, it just like really, really kind of shaping my formative years. And I know he did that to a lot of other, you know, brown kids, you know, named Carlos, you know, growing up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and 2000s. Like it just transcends time in space and you know Dolores Huerta is still alive today Cesar's not you know my grandfather gosh it feels like he just died but I'm just looking online he, it was 2013 when he actually passed so it's been sweat quite some time according to the internet but like it feels like yesterday it really does like I, I actually didn't believe what I saw online um, so yeah his house his kids you know, there it's still it's still a place I visit every time I go to Northern California. And his wife, my dad's mother, Mary, you know, in large part gets no credit in the kind of commercial sense, but you know, she was feeding all those farm workers. She was feeding all those people marching from Delano to Sacramento. You know, they were they didn't just, you know, wish things, they they did things. And I think that's really where you have to believe in something so, so profoundly to dedicate everything, you know, your belief in, in protecting those around you that aren't getting any of the credit. I think that Oh, man, it, it's just, it's hard to put into words kind of what that does to, to you as a young person. But like, pride is kind of a funny word. I, I'm not trying to make anyone particularly proud. Like, oh man, he, he made me proud. But I'm really trying to, to do my own thing with understanding of where I come from. And that weight means something, you know, and I at least do it a service to the next generation. Like I don't diminish what, you know, the people before me have done. I don't take away in any sort of way, but I really, in my own way, keep that going. And I think a lot of what I hope to do as a parent one day is to pass that message on that there are so many people that look just like you born in a different time, never given a shit fucking hand. And we're getting paid pennies on the dollar, worked, you know, 20 hour days and marginalized and not given basic needs and rights. So it's like, 
you want to complain now? <laughs> you know, like, like check yourself. And I, I think that's where I always come back to. It's like, you think it's tough now. You think you're working in, you know, CD spots. You think you're doing shit that, you know, makes you question your own thing, you know, self-worth. Like you think that's tough. Like look at what those guys were able to do. And I, I, I have a picture of him in my hallway of him in our house, um, you know, playing guitar. And I have that very guitar still to this day. So like those, those types of things, like I pick up that guitar every day. I play it maybe not half as good as he did, but like, that's, that's, that's a sense of flow state. Like I start that day with that understanding that he held this very guitar and did his very same things, you know, he had the same amount of hours in his day and was able to accomplish as much as he did. Why can't I do that? And so, you know, reminders, I read his books. I, I honestly read a poem of his at least once a week. Like I, I'll just almost like, um, almost like the, the poem of the week or, um, or a situation where I'll, whatever calls to me, I'll just pick up a book, I'll flip it to a random page and that poem, even if it's 100% in Spanish, <laughs> like I'll read it, I'll try and read it and I'll try and understand it. And, and like, there's something about it that grounds me to that time and place to where like, you are such an observationalist and you're able to quantify it in that limiting subset of words that we were talking about a minute ago, but yet articulate that feeling of dust or embarrassment or soot or grit. Like somehow you found the words that made me feel that way. How do I, how do I channel that? And often I don't, but often I do. And I really, I think maybe this is more my insecurity where I try and like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, I don't want to like lead in, into a room and be like, I am, you know, Carlos Anthony Montoya, grandson of Jose Montoya. Like maybe someone knows me as that, maybe not, but like, I don't want that to be a defining factor. I want to create my own, but like, that's who I am you know, and that's what I am. And that's what I try and bring in a different sense. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's, it's a huge major part of how I got to be where I am is understanding that people with far less were able to make something of themselves. And when he passed, you know, one of the greatest you know, family heirlooms that we have, you know, shared amongst my aunts and uncles are, you know, a handwritten letter from Obama, you know, just sending his condolences to his passing. And like, you know, what's a letter from someone? Like, maybe nothing, but like, you, you can never take that away from our family. If it's lost in the fire, if it's forever gone and we don't have the original anymore but like everyone knows and everyone's held that in some way that letter that just that meant like even in the capitalistic 
governmental society of whatever you want to quantify today as reach some semblance of success not with commas there's ones and zeros and dollar signs but with like this guy bled felt was about a certain belief and his goal was to uplift a community like bigger than you and that man that's that's both a um, it both propels everyone in our family but it really is also like it's that weight that isn't lost on us like that that's that's heavy shit that we are forever grateful like i'm not religious but i still say thanks to him every day you know for whatever whomever you know family was raised catholic you know god whomever you want to call god but like you know i i i still i still think about him all the time so that that's you know everyone's found hopefully can find that person in your life and if it's a family member even more so but like someone that has that and has done so much is both pressure <laughs> to be selfish about it. Like, oh my God, how did I live up to this? But like, it's also just like fucking amazing. Like that we get to be a part of that. So my grandfather passed and after he passed, he had this incredible curated uh, gallery showing at UCLA, the Fowler Museum for an entire season. And it was one of their most visited gallery viewings of all time. And these were like napkin sketches. These were, you know, lithographs, silk screens, watercolors, you know, <clears throat> sketches on tortillas, like literally anything and everything was a, was a, was a pad to sketch on any instrument, you know, a charcoal piece of wood, like he would sketch with like, everything and anything like and then it was displayed in these crates these wooden crates that were the same crates that you know farm workers would throw their grapes into that would be loaded up and stacked on you know flatbed trucks and shipped to a safeways and it's like to bring it full circle and like have this like this symbol of you know agriculture which is just this like kind of run-of-the-mill crate but filled with art that's actually in the Smithsonian today he you know you know through whomever curated such a such a you know a gallery space that it's like honestly it was like moving like anyone from any descent that recognizes marginalized people like felt it and it's like, if you can quantify art and it moves people and you can see that person's not just down on his luck, but like he's got a shit hand and he's got to get up to work at 4 a.m., you know, for a shift for 16 hours. Like that, I mean, man, that that's something that I, I will forever be grateful for. And I just like have just, I carry with me every day. And it's not something that um, I honestly, he's like one of the very few people I think about like the most.
and it's like one of those so yeah he's he's prolific in my life and in many other brown and hispanic and latino people you know in the united states he really was the voice of a generation and um was one of the most prominent writers for you know the beginning stages of what was classified as Chicano in the United States, but it's just yet another label, you know, now they call us Latinx. Riddle me fucking that, but <laughs> that's just what it is. And so kudos to uh, my grandpa Jose and uh, a lot of us, him and a few people like him um, to think so yeah, if anyone's ever in San Diego and finds themselves in Chicano Park, um, any one of the RCAF artists from from Juanishi Orozco to uh, gosh um, Esteban Villa, Louis the Foot, who else? I'm blanking on him. Rudy Cuellar. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, I just remember being at my uncle's houses, you know, they were just, you know, they were just friends, but RCAF, Royal Chicano Air Force is, um, is a force to be reckoned with. And I recommend anyone listening to go check them out. Their, their work, their work still stands the test of time. Nice. Nice. And that's cool. Everything that you just said, it all puts it into context of your answer of what art is, you know, it's timeless. And what you're talking about is legacy and what that means. And I think everybody can really connect with that. You know, we all have parents, grandparents, uh, lineages of whatever, Maybe it's family, maybe it's not family, maybe it's this and that. But uh, with that, we like carry like the burden, but also like the honor of. Mm -hmm. That was the word, honor. That was what I was searching for. Yeah, really. It's the honor. It really is. Yeah. And sometimes the honor can feel heavy Mm -hmm. uh, because there's that pressure of, of like living up to those standards and anybody who you know was the child or grandchild of somebody who's done great things like they're going to feel that same um weight that same pressure but you know pressure makes diamonds and Mm. and that's love that love that that's gonna like lead to great things and it's cool i mean i don't I forget who who did the who said the quote. Maybe it's from Gladiator. I'm not sure, but uh, the the quote is, "What we do in life echoes into eternity," and you know, like those echoes back to the frequency. It's like those echoes happen at a certain frequency and then like carry on through time. And if you know, like with your grandfather, that like he set the tone. And then mm-hmm. like your family all feels that it like resonates through everybody and, mm-hmm. uh, and you feel it. And that brings you to that level. Like you, you wake up in the morning and you think about him and you're like, that's where I need to rock. That's, that's how I need to, 
vibe and go. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, my entire family in some way feels that. Um, yeah, I was texting with my, uh, he's an older cousin, lives in Los Angeles. And he was one of the last people to work with and alongside him, you know, touching up one of his, his dad's murals, who is um, a part of RCAF. And, you know, there, there's like, there's some legitimate honor. And I think there's a fine line of like honor, pride that can be misconstrued as like, that's all you have. But like, I, I know speaking for most of my family, like that's, that's definitely a large part of who and what we are, but like that's, we, we, we all actively strive to do like, what do we do with that honor? And I think that's, that's both a challenge and, you know, a kind of self-imposed hurdle that everyone's trying to make that, that thing, I don't know, at the next level, the next generation. Um, so yeah, just, you know, texting with him, it was like, um, you know, we were recalling, you know, I visited them down in Chicano Park and my uncle, uh, my grandfather, excuse me, was staying at like a Motel 6 as they were working on the mural. And I remember actually my wife now, Sarah, we were still dating at the time. I asked her to come with me and we went down and I can, I saw my cousins touching up the mural and I was like, hey, where's, where's grandpa? And he was like, oh, he's back at the hotel. Go check it. He's at, you know, room six, you know, upstairs and to the right. And so we went upstairs and I knocked on the door and like, with no shame, my grandpa answered the door in his whitey tidies. He was like, mijo, come in. <laughs> I was like, uh, you want to put on pants? He's like, no. <laughs> you know, like, he, he was just like, <laughs> even, even that like ridiculous moment i was like you know there's just you, some people just are just they just don't change they're just so beautiful and don't aren't abashed on anything and like we came in and we just wanted to say what's up and say hi and we talked for a good hour just kind of wrapping out catching up he met sarah you know and then a couple years later he ended up dying but that that like just very organic moment of like you know, I've been working on this piece, you know, up in the rafters for a couple of days. I'm going to be in my whitey tatties. You want to come in? Come in. But like, I'm not going to change. <laughs> so it's like, fuck yeah. You know, like, you want to come in? Come in. I'm not going to change. And I think there's, there's some beauty in that. So not to leave you with that image, but, you know, that, that, that's the lasting image that, you know, we can leave with your listeners, but really I, I, I recommend you checking out his body of work. Um, yeah, El Sol del El Bajo is one of his books. Um, Information is another one of his books and they're just, man, they, they're timeless. Uh, I can, anyone can pick them up and understand kind of what he was going through and what the movement was. And Dolores Huerta still shows up to family events <laughs> and still still is a prominent figure in our lives. Um, so yeah, we're we're very lucky to call them friends. 
Wow. Wow. <laughs> Dude. Pretty fucking legendary, Carlos Montoya. Thank you. Definitely. Thanks. Uh, well, I think I think that was solid. I think we we knocked that one out. <laughs> it was so great. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being on here. Uh, I'm pretty excited. We're gonna have Sarah on the podcast up here in not too long. She's busy yeah. working on some things, and yeah, she'll be ready in uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, in a couple weeks. Can I send you um? Do you have a good picture of me? Uh yep. Yep. But Got my it. Mom sent me one. I was like, you know what? Moms are usually right. Mom. I got I got one. It's a new one. Oh yeah, that's a great. We're wearing the same damn beanie, so the snuffle <laughs> circle. I, I I don't know what to tell you, but like when mom sends you a pic and she's like, "Mijo, use this one." Mijo, like, use this one. You're probably right, mom. Let me uh, <laughs> let me let me let me tell you. Let me send it to Taylor G. Moms know what's up. Mom knows what's up. Yeah. So if, if you need one, I, I can send it to you. But if you if you just want to pull one off the. Uh, no, that's great. That's great. I'll take that and. Uh... Yeah, I mean, we'll be seeing you tomorrow. Like we see each other every day, hanging out at the dog park. You know. Yeah, man. Tomorrow. Well, you had a pretty solid day tomorrow, so we may not see you as much as you think. But no, maybe not tomorrow. But, <laughs> but dog, dog hour. We see each other almost every day at dog hour, and that's good. This, this is true. Yeah, your doggies are on the same potty circuit, but. I'm pretty sure tomorrow. Oh, let me see if there's a. Hey Siri, show me the Formula One schedule this weekend. <laughs> there might be a race tomorrow. You guys love Formula One. That's so funny. Uh, well, let's is wrap it, up this uh, this podcast. There's something about Formula One that you, I think, would get into if you just understand that it's like the best engineers on the planet setting up a vehicle. That's essentially a fighter jet plane with wheels that's going against other fighter jet planes facing the other most elite engineers on the planet. And it's like a math explosion where everything is numbers and seconds and milliseconds. And if it's like, if you like battle bots growing up <laughs> or like things like smashing into each other or random, like, you know, math equations like this is an amalgamation of all of that it's like spacex meets the tarmac and that just pure like engineer masterpieces wrapped in like the pageantry of like a race has like this it's like it, it it takes a hold of you and you're like when you know you know you're like that is intense and there's something so beautiful about like it's not like nascar where they're going in a circle it's like these like oh yeah it's like dog fights it's like they're chasing one another and they're hunting them down and there's like something primal about it but yet it's like literally the best mechanics strategists engineers you know, visionaries, collective minds behind one person instead of a football team with 10 people on the, or 11 people on the field. 
there's one person with 20 people behind them and major money. And it's like, talk about pressure. <laughs> that becomes, and it's a global sport. It's like soccer in that way where there's a little bit of nationality and little pride and cultures and some rivalries. Um, and, and honestly, like, it's just, it's just bonkers. Like you cannot define race day other than like, this is fucking bonkers. Like so much money went into this one moment and that guy just crashed, like <laughs> fucked up. But then there's like those moments where like the best athlete in a white man's sport is a black dude named Lewis Hamilton. It's like Tiger Woods. It's like, how, what? Most, you know, it's like Lewis Hamilton, the only black guy on the entire grid, seven time champion. You know, there's bazillions of other nationalities that could all be there, but it's like, and he leads with the mission. He single-handedly changed the sport and made it about, you know, ending racism. Like Formula One is like, it's a British sport. It's like, it's a white man's billionaire sport, but somehow a kid from no means with the support and admiration of his father from no means built this guy up. And then that, got him to onto a team with the best strategists and engineers to where he's like, I, I mean, honestly, he's, he's like the best stunt person on the, on the globe, like to go 200 plus miles an hour and do a hairpin turn wheel to wheel to someone else is no different than do fighter pilots feet away doing these acrobats at an air show. It's like, these guys are, although those are scripted. Whereas uh, yeah. there's just like cutting turns. That's crazy. All right, I'm into it. You just sold me on that. <laughs> totally in. Yeah, well, the next race I think is May 2nd. So I don't know what you're doing, but you should probably come over. I'll be watching that with you at five in the morning. Yeah, that's the other random thing. It's like, what we love coffee. So let's not wake, let's wake up at 5 a.m. and drink coffee and watch. Let's wake up at 5 a.m. on Saturday. <laughs> cool. Plan it mixed with the best engineers and oh it's absolutely wild and it's not just racing that makes it fun like that's that's honestly like that's like the side effect that just so happens to be like what you do at the end but it's like every little thing as a designer like you look at a car, you're like, what's the fucking difference between a Honda, an Acura, a Chevy, a Ford? And you're like, mm, if you ask a designer, there's so much different. But if like, if you ask a normal person, you're like, mm, they're all pretty like basic cars. And you're like, wheels are in the corners. There's four doors, windshield, windows, gas mileage is the same. It's the same car. But like a Formula One, it's like every little divot, pivot, you know, pitch of the wheel of a fin, like someone decided, someone pitched, someone got accepted, someone signed off, someone paid for, someone got it molded, formed, put on a car and 
that helped this person shave a millisecond off a corner. And you're like, who fucking cares? <laughs> but like someone does and you're the best at it. And that is like watching LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, you know, Barry Bonds swing a bat. It's like the best of the best doing what they do against the best of the best, you know, plus they're going fucking fast. It's like, there's so much about it to where you're like, the stakes are literally life and death. Like you pitched this, you got it across, but like, if that results in an accident and that guy dies, like an entire country will, <laughs> will never forgive you. Like, and that to me is also what makes it really interesting. It's like the stakes are so high that like sometimes it saves someone. Actually, I, I recommend here's something. Here's some homework. Drive to Survive on Netflix is a is a show that goes into the Formula One world. Mm. Just watch season three, ep nine. Oh. There's something about and they kind of they kind of play up the fact that there was an accident that happened that was fucking crazy. The accident, as someone who's been through a pretty traumatic accident, where the life you know the jaws of life cut me out of a car, my legs were broken. Like there was uh, not the same, but like I had a little PTSD watching this show. They do such a great job of showing how intense this accident was for this driver. But to recognize that at the end of the day, it's just a human being and they get involved in an accident and like how everything is about competition. But the second one of their own gets hurt or almost fucking dies or maybe dies, no spoilers, like how it, it's no longer important. It's like, it's somber. It's the only time a track on race day goes quiet is when everyone, no one says a word because you'll jinx it, but everyone fucking knows. We don't know if that guy's alive. And that moment like is primal. Like everyone's like, oh my God. And like, it shakes even the very drivers who are fearless into like, I don't even know why I'm driving today. Like, why is it worth it? I have a family. People care about me. Like somewhere else, I'm here. What the fuck? And that like, like it takes it all and just like sucks it out the window. You're like, but wasn't everything about this thing? And isn't everyone here for that, that innovative move or feature on a car that made you? It's like, nope. And that like full circle, like that football doesn't experience that. Basketball doesn't experience that. Soccer, if you told me every week a soccer player dies at a, at a soccer match, like people would be like, this match is, this is the craziest sport of all time. There was a time and a period where in Formula One, like people died every fucking week. And that's just like the craziest thing where you're like, yeah, I'm just a part of a sport. It's like bullfighting but it's, it's way crazier. So season three, ep nine, just touches a little bit on like how much they're risking and everything else is kind of drama meant for Netflix, but like that episode particularly like hit me hard where I was like, 
I was like, visibly, I was like, you know, nothing matters at the end of the day, but yet it, it's, it kind of does. And like, it can be both. And that's the answer. Like it can matter so much to where you live and breathe it. But at the end of the day, like no one wants to see anyone be killed for it, but that shit happens. And that sport, it happens a lot more than you think. So if like LeBron was a part of a sport every day where the top tier athletes are dying and everyone's like, what the fuck? It, it just is far more compelling. So yeah, every Sunday we like to watch a Formula One race. <laughs> <laughs> what are uh, you doing? <laughs> I'll be there. Wait a second, it's on. <laughs> Fucking A, man. Um. All right. Well, Carlos, this has been a blast. Thank you. Cheers, man. Appreciate you. Hey, I appreciate you, and uh, and I know the listeners do too. Yeah. Thanks, listeners. Don't let me stop you from living your lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you helped. I think you helped. <laughs> uh, all right. Cheers. All right, salute. Have a great night. Well, that, my friends, was Carlos Montoya. What an adventure. That was awesome. Um, There's so, so many layers to this gentleman. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, And the... One of the most interesting things about it, which you guys didn't get to experience, is that he just doesn't he doesn't throw any of it out there like unless you ask. Like I've had to really like dig in and to, to like find these things out. Cause otherwise he just chills and like uh, <laughs> he always asks me about what I've got going on and what I'm doing and then I'll answer him and I'll talk about it and then I'm like man, but you're doing amazing things in the world and like what's going on with you uh extremely humble extremely humble uh yeah so cool so much art so much design so much conceptual stuff business kind of everything wrapped up into that one podcast episode um and the concept of legacy how wild like to have a grandfather who has created such a legacy and then what that does and instills into your life if for good and for the, like the challenging parts you know like heavy is the head that wears the crown right like to be uh, born into something like that adds this whole layer of uh, of I don't know, context or challenge or whatever. What a trip. What a trip. Yeah, cool stuff. I hope that you take this and all this inspiration and, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to Carlos and ask him questions. And if you don't, just, just take it into the world. Do awesome things. Go big. Go all in. Put all your chips in the middle of the table. And write that 50 million dollar check and say i'm backing this project this is my project it's really cool 
Cheers.